and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast that broadcasts live from the village of Yap. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher, and I'm really glad to say that we have all mastered the art of the blind side. I'm Mike Bloom, and I am definitely an apple chewer. Uh, this is Paul Osselson, also known as Alexis, Alexis's uh, number one fanboy. Go Alexis! Woohoo! <laughs> and here we are in the part three of our big Micronesia podcast, and uh, I'm not 100% sure about this, but I'll spoil this right off the bat that this might not be the final version of, micro- of our podcast here. This might not be the last part. There may be a part four, so I know for the for all the Legion of Micronesia fans out there, just right now I'm telling you this, we have a lot to talk about in this one, and I don't know if we're going to finish the season. To, to, um, to sort of uh, try to compensate for this or to, to explain ourselves, because I know that you know, I have and I know Mario has, has gone on record and basically said that uh, not the biggest fans of Survivor Micronesia, and I got to tell you, first of all, softens a bit on a rewatch. Not the biggest fan of it still in a lot of ways, and I hope that we'll enumerate it, but I think that we've talked about it before. Survivor Micronesia, whether you like it, whether you don't like it, whether you think it's overrated or underrated or all those sorts of things, it's a really important season in Survivor history. And we are Survivor historians. We do make fun jokes, and you know we do have banter and all that sort of stuff, but Survivor Micronesia is a really important season to talk about. So I think that four parts for this actually is somewhat appropriate. Especially because this post-merge is extremely eventful and you can typify that with any sort of adjective you like to depending on what you think about the season but i mean we're talking about we've been talking about the fact that micronesia is sort of the beginning of act two the entract to what modern survivor is going to be you're going to hear the word blindside many many times from both the show and us over the course of these next two parts because that's really what this second part is going to focus on from a gameplay perspective with some fun character moments thrown in as well I think one of the benefits, though, of this, you know, even though we're moving into this era of blindsides, and I know we have people on this podcast who are very much purists of the game and, and don't necessarily love this direction the show goes in, I think what's important to note here is how fast it moves. So even though there is more of an emphasis on the blindside and the strategy of it all, it moves so quick, we get a double boot, um, you know, halfway through here. So it doesn't take long, we're already at the finale. So I think that's one thing it has going for us, when, which we can't say about, you know, survivors much later on where we are merging with 13 people with 12 people and we have like so many episodes of individual game i think this moves right along quickly in in a very nice quick pace uh, to close out the season it's fast-paced it goes downhill and it does talk about blind sides but as as it goes this is going to be the genesis of not only the the strategy of the blind side and the getting everyone out but also the the quick misnomer that blindside takes the, you know, blindside is this all encompassing term that sort of, you know, sort of becomes not even its own definition after a while. And it really does start with Micronesia. So here we go. All right. Before we uh, start, I have a little business to take care of. Mike, you're fired. We're bringing in Kristen. Yes. <laughs> yes. Blindside. Bye, Mike. <laughs> all right. Uh, Goodbye. Well, tip. Is that, Paul, are you like twirling something around your finger at this point, waddling up to the microphone, bragging about how I'm gone? No, I, I, well, yeah, that's in one hand. The other hand, I'm, uh, I'm uh, brewing my cauldron over here. <laughs> Stir that pot. Stir that pot, Paul. Well, that's a really timely blindside, Mario, seeing as, you know, we waited until Mike became the most popular and most well-known podcaster out of all of us before you fired him. To that be was fair, well done. To be fair, I'm still less known than both Pinkney, Michigan, and Yap. So really, there's, uh, there's goals for me to achieve still. 
Oh my yeah. God, I have so much to say about Pinkney, Michigan, more than it probably has ever said in its life. Holy crap. Jay became the first person to Wikipedia. Look it up, Pinkney. Wikipedia right. Pinkney? No, no, I've been through Pinkney. No, 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 no. Oh, wow. You're hardcore. Not. Uh... All right. Well, we'll get it. Okay, here we go. We are on episode nine of Micronesia. I believe uh, we're just about to merge where there's final, there's 10 players left in the game. Jason Siska, our good friend Siska, has the fake idol that was created so lovingly by Ozzy. And uh, basically what's happening now, the big power uh, couple in the game of the big power foursome is Ozzy, Amanda, James, and Parvati. Except after the twist, Parvati has been making a side alliance with Natalie and Alexis, and this is going to cause a lot of problems. And this is where we are going into episode nine, The Merge. And Anything I think this- else? Yeah, I think this beginning scene here is the way this episode opens up and kind of this episode as a whole is really a red herring to the whole rest of the season. Because we get this quote from Eric where he's talking about how, you know, that he points out this is the first time that a favorite has gone home before a fan in Amy in the previous uh, Tribal Council. And obviously we're going to have Eliza go home at the end of this episode. So I think this episode is really setting us up to believe that it's no longer the fans versus the favorites, but they really are mixed together. But when you watch the whole season play out, you know, that really never comes to fruition damn <laughs> i do I, I i have not uh said this in our past two podcasts but i think this string of episodes really brought it to light eric reichenbach in micronesia might be one of my favorite like one season character arcs in survivor maybe it's just because I-, I feel some resonance there i do feel like if i god help the world if i ever end up playing survivor but if i did i feel like i in spite of my knowledge of the show i would be as naive and dumbfounded and pliable as eric reichenbach probably is and even in this next scene where he like compares his relationship to ozzy to that of a zookeeper and a monkey with him being the monkey (laughs) he's and he hasn't even gone to yap yet these are a fantastic string of episodes for eric uh and we're probably not going to get to his worst episode coming out which is very nice (laughs) All right, so we go into the merge. Everyone you know, comes together. They have their big feast, and uh, this is where we get a couple interesting relationships. This is where Eliza and Jason, we start building this one up. That You know, nobody can stand Eliza, but for some reason, Jason and her have bonded. So this is her best ally in the game, which a note for all future Survivor players, if Jason Siska is your plus one, that's not a good plan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny because when we talk about you know, when people talk about the the post merge and the merge and the post merge here of Micronesia, they talk about like all this, all oh, this heated action, blah blah blah. But it's going to start out here, and I don't want to, you know, look, I'm not spoiling uh, a season that happened a billion years ago. But like, Eliza was on the outs of the favorites tribe. You know, she was with the Penner Alliance and stuff like that, and I mean that is basically disintegrated. So Eliza is basically by herself. Amy's gone, and it's her. And then you look at this, and like the fans are just dead meat, right? So the fans are just sort of sitting there, and as you can see through this episode, some of the favorites are going to scoop some of them up, but it's like Eliza basically is the outsider of the favorites tribe, and Jason Siska is just, I don't even want to say the outsider of the fans tribe, he's just an outsider to, like, humanity. (laughs) So, like, you know, they just were like, hey, you want to team up and just get picked off because we don't have numbers anywhere? Sure, why not? So it's like, it's fun to watch them go, but at the same time, if you're looking at this in any sort of objective eye and basically say, boy, I really go Eliza, go Jason. It's like, oh, my God, they are so done. 
Yeah, I have to be fair when I just took a dig at Jason Siska. I have to flip that around and say, note for all future Survivor players, if Eliza is your plus one, you need to plan a little better. <laughs> so it also <laughs> applies to Dirk. I don't know. If you go to a party with Eliza and something goes wrong, if you pull off a faux pas, there's someone right there to blame standing next to you. <laughs> that's true. Okay, that's true. If you'd like to go to a party with Eliza, I can see that. I hope Eliza's not listening to this. <laughs> all right. She probably is, but she yeah. knows that. A bunch of us love her anyway, so, you know, there's that. But, you know, loving a person and, and thinking they're great and good TV and, and being good at Survivor, that's those aren't mutually, you know, uh, you know, conjoining or or exclusive. It's, you know, it's it's all independent of each other. All right. Nice backpedal, Jay. Hey, whatever. All right. All right. So, yeah, we have our all the relationships are kind of bonding up here. We got Jason and Eliza. You got Ozzy and the zookeeper relationship with uh, Eric. That's always a fun one. You have Parvati now who's going to tell us, "Uh oh, I'm kind of screwed. I've made these side alliances with Natalie and uh, Alexis. Don't even make that joke, Mike. I know you were going there. <clears throat> so, uh, so, yeah, so uh, Parvati's kind of screwed now. She's in the middle, and she drops the quote, I am in, in such a hot pickle right now, which is a, we all know that became a big legendary Survivor catchphrase like Blindside, the hot pickle. Yeah, the ha- I could see the hashtag brewing, much like the pot being stirred at the bottom, but the technology did not exist yet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would have been a hashtag, absolutely. All right, so, yeah, they have the big merge feast, and they get all this food, and... Uh, this is the one, let's see, Eliza's all heartbroken because the only person she really has to talk to is, is uh, Jason. She really was hoping to have Amy here, as again, we all remember Amy and Eliza being tied all the way back to Vanuatu. So this is an old relationship. So yeah, so Eliza's kind of lost in the woods here. She has no one to talk to. And uh, I think the big moment in this scene is where they get this big, you know, feast full of food and there's a, a bowl of bats, right? Bat soup or just wet bat or something. Yeah. James, What's the James, difference? Of course, Jason needs the bat. Yeah, I don't know. And so this, of course, leads to the uh, iconic quote, uh, there's no bat in team, but there's one in James's mouth. I think the Rob Sesterny note for that one. <laughs> Have you guys tried, I know we talked about this with Balut, that like none of us had tried it. Have any of you guys tried bat? I wonder how comparable it is to a rabbit, as James seems to indicate here. I've never tried rabbit either, so I can't compare anything. I, I'm tried, only in rabbit. rabbit. That's, the, that's the only meat we, we eat around here. Oh, that's true. It's like Oregon Trail up in Montana. Yeah, not just Oregon Trail. Rabbit's actually done it. You know, French cooking and French cuisine and stuff like that. I've had rabbit. That doesn't make it acceptable or respectable of being French. You know, it sort of does. But (laughs) anyway, you know, whatever. Um, Yeah, haute cuisine here. Yeah. Um, I have not tried bat though. No, Uh, no. Well, James does say when you pull the skin off that it's much better, which I would imagine is probably true. So yeah, James, very enthusiastic about eating the bat, and he will eat bat later in the season. So twice this season, James will dine on bat. So if James is not afraid of bats, that technically makes him the opposite of Batman. So is James Clement the Joker in that regard? I was really seeing where you were going with that joke, and I can't stand by that joke at all. So you're on your own now. All right. (laughs) What's a Batman? (laughs) He also could be a heavy metal singer. Yeah, there, there we go. There's the reference I was looking for. There's your Google Ozzy Osbourne if you guys don't know that one. No, Ozzy's on this right. season. <laughs> That's right. Sharon! <laughs> all right, so we're past the feast and all our bat jokes that none of, not one of which actually landed. And now we're going to the point, point where uh, Eric comes up with the name of the tribe. And I'm sure one of you has a lot to say about this one. Do you guys know the history behind this one? But that he chose Dabu? 
Isn't it like a World of Warcraft word or something? There's there's a there's something there's an inside joke there that I'm not aware of. Someone knows this. I swear I was assuming one of you would know this. Well, let's go to the biggest nerd for that one, Mike. What does it mean? Well, Jay's the one that does online gaming. That's his realm of nerddom. Um, I don't know about <laughs> Dabu. I mean, I feel like Momo sounds like MMO, which would be like online gaming. And that's Eric sort of says afterwards, like, "Hey, I punked you guys. I just made it up. You know, I can't believe people would actually believe that Dabu means hello." And I think he says, "For all I know, it could have been Momo or like faux shizzle or something," which. I would have loved to see the pitch that Eric would have given with a straight face to try to get the tribe to name their tribe Faux Shizzle. Oh, God, Sorry, do I actually, actually have to be the one? Do I have to be I the was, one? We were all looking up Dabu. I know uh, there's an inside joke here. Yeah, oh, heard... yeah. It's, it's, it's from WoW, or, or you know, it's, it's at least from the Blizzard Warcraft universe. It's, it's, it's orcish. Yeah, I've heard people talk about that, that Eric was making a reference to World of Warcraft here, so he's out-nerding even us. But, but like, no, 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 I mean, look, Mike, you're right. I do I do play online games. I, I haven't done it in months, but I do play online games. But I have never, and I'm not going to say thankfully, because I respect the people who do it, but I've never gotten into an MMO. So that's actually not uh, my genre of game. Not that I haven't wasted my time doing other things, but um, uh, no, MMOs and, and World of Warcraft is actually not something that I know a whole ton about, other than I know a lot of people that do play it. Now, I know Paul doesn't do MMOs. He does MMAs. You're the mixed martial artist guy, right? Oh, yeah, totally. Go for it, Paul. I, I wanted I was, to hear you. I, hear what, I was going to hear what the temp was going to say about me. Go for it. I was going to say Paul is more into MOO because there's so many cows in Montana. <laughs> Hashtag moo. You know, you know what? I, I held my tongue for a while here. I wasn't going to start off right off the bat. You know what really annoys me in this scene and leading up to the scene? You know, you know what contestant gets under my skin in this scene? Would that be Alexis? Jean? Oh, little Miss Jean Jr., also known <laughs> as Alexis, okay? This, like, if you really listen to what she says right before this merge scene and during the merge scene, like, you know how bad she actually is at the game. Okay, going into it, when when it's Parv, Parv talking about herself being in a, a pickle, she says that, you know what, if Parv doesn't go with us, that's the game. Okay, strike one, that's her attitude. Well, if Parv doesn't go with me, oh, well, that's the game. Strike one, Alexa's bad player. Let's go to strike number two, okay? She um, goes, she starts talking about, uh, you know, she's explaining it to the viewers about what this, what it means now you're at the merge, what it means to be playing individually. And she says during this time that now it's, who you get along with. Uh, no, that's not how it works at the merge. It's not about who you get along with to get to the end. Um, and then she tells strike number three, she tells Ozzy that she's ready to go beyond fans versus favorites. And that's like the dumbest thing ever. So that's why I'm making it strike three. She's terrible. You know, Paul, if, if Alexa is really getting under your skin, I heard if you just peel the skin off, the meat's nice and tender on the inside. So you should be good. <laughs> nice without the skin. Just like rabbit. All right, so yeah, then, now we have Alexis coming up here, and she starts cuddling with Ozzy, and Amanda sees that, and, and Amanda gets a little cat, like, like a little cat fighty, like, oh, I don't like that. She's cuddling up to my guy. So there's there's a lot of bad blood coming up here between Amanda and, I would say, Alexis, but it's really Parvati's side alliance. Amanda does not like Parvati's new girlfriends, and uh, this is going to cause some friction down the road. And uh, it's not the, she, she's not the only one. I should point out that Sari is also annoyed that all these fans are in her camp and they're using all our stuff. So, like, the favorites just don't like the fans very much here. What do you guys think about this sort of edit of 
Amanda, the sort of jealous girlfriend, or at least from what we're seeing with this whole Alexis, Ozzy, Amanda love triangle for a few episodes. I mean, this has to be completely contrived, right? I they'll, at the Ponderosa where Alexis gets voted out. You know, they say that they're just friends, and there was maybe just island flirtations going on. But do you really think Amanda was like seeing that much green once, and not just in the merge buffs once they ended up coming together? No, well, I, I think, think it, it definitely was more about the the girl alliance, like Mario was saying here. It was more about the fact that Alexis and Natalie were probably even closer to Parvy. I think the whole thing with the Aussie thing was was totally made up. Yeah, what I think they're doing is I really noticed it this time I was I was watching the season is that they're really kind of building up Amanda as the hero and almost Parvati as the villain. Like they're really trying to separate them. Like Parvati's doing all these evil mean things and Amanda's just trying to get along with her friends and just stick with the plan. So like Amanda, it's they're really kind of setting up this Amanda versus Parvati thing. And it's one of those things I never really noticed it until this watch. So I'm not sure it's it's done that well, but I did notice they're trying to do it. And I think that's just one way to do it that, you know, Parvati's brought in all these bad influences and Amanda's the good girl. She's like, No, we don't we don't need those people here. So it's that's what I think it really is. Yeah, it, it I guess I'll bring it up somewhat now. I'm going to bring this up a little bit over the next couple hours when we talk about these uh, few episodes here post-merge in Micronesia. But it's something that really comes to mind and something you have to watch, especially with the, with the people that make the merge here in Micronesia, is what is everyone's end goal? And and I think that that's a very valid thing to talk about because you know it's very easy for everyone to say, well, their end goal is to win Survivor and win a million dollars. And the question is, is it? Obviously, they'd all like to win the game and win a million dollars. I know that it's all on their minds, but are is everyone at the merge actively doing so, or do they have other goals in mind? And I'm going to lay this out uh, in, in f- future episodes, but I think that something here is that my argument would be that most of these people, most of them, are actually not thinking about the end game and trying to win a million dollars. And I think that Amanda is one that is thinking about that. And I think that Parvati for all that we make fun of Parvati is thinking that way. And I think that Amanda and Parvati are sort of taking two approaches to two sides of the same coin, I think here. And then, and I think Mario is sort of pointing it out in the edit. And that is, is that we've already established early on that, that Sari and Amanda and Parvati have, have made this, you know, we're going to be the final three packed going in there. And we know that that sort of is what plays out, that they're the three people that, that, uh, end up le- left in the game. But Amanda is like, okay, we're the final three, and we're going to use these favorite guys. We're going to use James, and we're going to use Ozzy, and we're going to use these people as kind of challenge muscle and vote muscles for a little bit, and then we'll vote them off at some point, and it'll be the three of us left. Whereas a lot, uh, whereas Parvati got to the merge and saw all the people that were left and saw maybe she could be vulnerable. And so Parvati takes a different approach, and she basically says, okay, I've got my alliance. I've got my final three with Sari and, Am- and Amanda, and, you know, there's James and there's Ozzy that we know. But you know what? I'm going to make another alliance with a couple of these fans and just trying to shore up our defenses so that when things whittle down, I've got a couple paths in which I can get down to my final three. And this it's a risky strategy, but it's one that we're going to see in a lot of seasons later where it's like you've got this final three alliance, but then it's what is your bigger alliance, your buffer kind of zone? And it's like Parvi sort of tries to straddle two alliances and Amanda's like, no, we need to stick with the people we have. And I think that Survivor, you know, especially from the traditional times, it's all about, you know, I, I think that the game sort of uh, and the edit sort of uh, makes a positive sort of light on people who stick with people and stick with the loyal loyalty and alliances and stuff like that. So I think that Amanda sort of gets that sticking with loyalty sort of path, whereas Parvati is forging this new, I'm going to make multiple sort of alliances path. Let me throw out a question going along with what you just said, Jay, about Parvati's game and joining up with these fans. Do you guys think at this point in the game, 
any fans have any chance against any favorite in any sort of amalgamation of the finals? Are they just screwed right now from the get-go of this individual game? It would be awfully tough for one of them to win a jury vote, unless unless the favorite is Eliza. That's the only one I could think of at this point. I think that if you have a favorite that is, you know, and, and I think that it, it, things do depend. Like, if, if the favorite that is left absolutely, like, you know, is, is a Russell Hansey kind of figure that, that voted people out gleefully and sort of gave them the middle finger and a kick in the butt on the way out, maybe they don't win because they did such bad jury management. So I think that the that the probability is greater than zero. But at that point, it's very low. Like, I think that, you know, assuming that everyone sort of plays a somewhat standard or somewhat within the box sort of game, I think that the fans are drawing dead for the most part. I will say there's two fans I think might have had a chance, you know, if something had worked out for them and hadn't worked out for the favorites. And that's Eric. People seem to like Eric. I mean, they don't really respect him because he's so... He's not really devious or anything. He's so simple. You can kind of tell what he's thinking at all times, but they seem to like him. And as much as Paul hates her, Alexis, no, they no. do say many times in the next couple episodes that she's a jury threat. Like even the other girls, like, I'm not sure I want to go up against Alexis. So those are the two I think maybe could have won in the right scenario against maybe an Eliza or again, if Parvati, I don't think Parvati was that well liked. So it's entirely possible. Maybe Alexis could beat Parvati if Parvati has to screw some people to get to the end. I don't know. What do you think, Temp? You're the one who asked the question. No, it's, it's a good question, but I think it goes back to the very first thing that we talked about in this series of podcasts of how inherently unfair a fans versus favorites concept is. I yeah. think we saw the initial stages of it in the tribal phase where the favorites just really hit the ground running. And even though they go to tribal council twice, I mean, they really just dominate the fans with an iron fist even after the swap. Now that we're in the individual stages where things become a little more murky and, you know, as Paul talked about, uh, we'll see fans kind of fire off the bow across at each other for the next couple of episodes. I still don't know if a returning player makes it to the end how much people are going to say, yeah, we, you know, we, we have to give the money to this person who only played once and over someone yep. who you know, was trying to redeem themselves or trying to make a better name for themselves and as a result made it to the end again. I think there might be some instances, as you said, there might be another universe where Parvati does sort of play this very cutthroat aggressive game that she talks about and makes it to the end with someone that is more simple and well-liked and gets votes as a result, but... I don't know. It's really hard for me to imagine at this point just because the favorites have had such a stronghold over the game at this point, and there are juries that or jury members that like to acknowledge game over maybe personal preference sometimes. Yeah. I think this. I think this. I think that, you know, Mario brought out I think that Eric and Alexis probably have the best chance of the two of them. I think that for Alexis it's a lot harder because she's gonna have to do some gaming sort of things. I think that Eric sort of had in a weird way, how it sets up, if Eric went on the massive immunity run and and just won immunity for the for the rest and didn't give it up and kept it and didn't get voted out and made it all the way to the end, it's I'm not saying that you know that that guarantees him to win, but I think that that gives the jury something to think about because he then has no blood on his hands in the sense that you know he was this lone fan. And he's just this likable sort of guy, and he just sort of won immunities. And that, that gives people like Ozzy and people in the jury sort of the, you know, hey, he was a challenge beast, and he did the challenge thing, and, you know, he outplayed them all sort of thing. Um, and, you know, because he's not part of the main alliance, and it's this, you know, a Black Widow Brigade alliance, and if they can't vote him out, they have to vote each other out. And maybe there's, you know, when people start having to vote other people out, there's hurt feelings, right? So there is a scenario in which maybe Eric immunities his way to a win. But even still, I think that, you know, 
with a lot of other seasons, if somebody does that, where there's like a massive alliance, you know, you saw it in Worlds Apart, you see it in other seasons where like there's this massive alliance and then someone that's on the outside that's like the last one left wins a bunch of immunities to the end of the game. Like that's an easy path and you can see them winning. But I still think on a fans versus favorite season, if Eric does that, I still don't think he's a slam dunk to win. Mm-hmm. No, well, he's not a slam dunk at all. It's a well, ridiculous. I, it's ridiculous how disadvantaged the fans are. Well, speaking to that point, I think it's really important that the show learned this and they never repeat this again, mixing in all stars and new players. So no, no, lesson no. I, learned. I think I think they should do it again, but this time really ramp up the questionable factor as to whether the favorites are really favorites. I think that's going to be a winning formula. <laughs> and you know, you know, instead of getting like kind of fans, like make them even like less of fans. <laughs> how dare you take dig- digs at Eddie? Woof. <laughs> yeah, I Mario, I, I take I take offense at that joke, and I think that uh, to make it up to me, I think you should take your teeth out. <laughs> oh no, another blind side. God damn, these blind sides are out of control now. All right. I so anyway, episode so- nine. <laughs> I have to say something about what Mike said. Mike said in an alternate universe, you know, where poverty plays a bad game and screws up. I don't think that's that unlikely a universe because I do not think she plays an especially strong game during these episodes here. I, I wouldn't she say, gets a horrible. I, she gets a horrible edit in these episodes. Like they, yeah. they repeatedly point out that people don't like her. She's a mean girl. I don't trust her. I don't respect her. James says it. Amanda's like, poverty does not get a very flattering edit here. I, I will say yes. that I, I don't think she is getting this, you know, best player ever edit that I think a lot of people are going to receive of her reputation and definitely out of after Heroes versus Villains as well out of this season. What I will say, and we won't obviously won't speak about the finale in this podcast, but. I do wonder if she hadn't gone to the end with Amanda, how things would have shaken out. Because I do think, as much as we're building out Amanda as sort of the hero who sticks by her friends, a lot of these people on the jury are going to look at Amanda and say, you're wishy-washing, you're crying all the time. Almost make a a comparison to the person that Jay was alluding to a a couple minutes ago. And as a result, Amanda's going to kind of suffer in that regard. So... We'll definitely yeah. be tracking Parvati's progress throughout here, considering that she is going to be the winner, and she's really going to come into prominence over the next couple of episodes, though, as Mario's alluding to, it might not be in the best light possible. No, it, and here's the thing, and I'm not the biggest Parvati apologist on planet Earth, and I, and I don't, I think that even, even though she wins this season, I don't think she even played the best game out there, but I think that she does a couple of smart things. I mean, like I said, it's a risky move here in episode nine, where she starts snapping up uh, Alexis and Natalie sort of on the side so that she's got some options, which is going to, you know, benefit down the line. It's like in a lot of seasons, that's a really risky move that isn't going to pay off. But because a lot of people in this game aren't so game savvy, uh, I'm looking at you, Jason. I'm looking at you, James. I'm looking at a lot of people that aren't like super uh, ready to capitalize on this. Uh, Parvati gets away with it. And she gets away with it partially because of that, but also because I think Sari is in a weird way letting her. And, you know, I'm, we're going to talk about, hopefully we talk about Suri an awful lot. I, I think that Suri is dynamite in this season. And um, we're, it's not so much here in episode nine, but but really episode nine is about Parvati making a bigger move and and, and going with that. Um, and, and we'll talk about Suri in, in subsequent episodes here. Okay, as we go along in episode nine, I'm just writing, going through my notes here. There's a lot of talk in this episode about the idol, the fake idol. And this is where Ozzy meets up with Jason, and Jason tells him, you know, I went out to Exile Island, I want to be like you. And Ozzy deduces, I bet this dork has my, my fake idol. So Ozzy's kind of figured out that Jason has it. And we get a great couple great scenes where Eliza's panicking, I don't know what I'm going to do, I have no allies, I'm in trouble. And Jason, of course, is right there with the, hey, babe, don't worry, I got it, I got a fake idol. Trust me, babe. So 
So uh, the legend of Jason Siska is growing very strong here, and it all kind of starts right here with his constant reassurance that Eliza doesn't have to worry because he's got it under control. I love that Jason also has a hiding spot, which he'll definitely bring up later when, you know, he goes out to get it and Eliza has that whole reveal by herself. But I love that, first of all, he hides, like, a stick behind a rock, and he says, like, oh, I hope I remember where it was, when in reality he could have really picked up any sort of piece of debris and it would function just as well as an idol. <laughs> no, dude, it's yeah. got a face. <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, great. Jason's out there hiding his idol like a dog hiding his bone so nobody can get it. And they're playing the biggest doofus music, the editors. Yeah, Russ Landau broke out the Survivor tuba just to, for Jason's theme. <laughs> yeah, so, whimsical bassoon music, as I like to call it. Yeah, so, so yeah, so uh, <laughs> the editors are having a, a lot of fun here, just totally making fun of Jason every time he opens his mouth. And uh, now Eliza, there's a scene where Eliza goes to Parvati and says, you know, Parvati, I'm still with you as as, uh, favorite girls to the end. And Parvati is just kind of mean to her. She's like, no, I don't think so. And she just totally blows her off. So (laughs) it's really awkward. And she's like, you know, we're still sticking together, right? All the phase. I don't know. And then Eliza totally calls her on it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, again, it's just more of this net of Parvati is just kind of a mean girl edit. And I know that's really more of a scene that shows that Eliza doesn't really fit in and has no allies, but it really doesn't reflect well on Parvati the way that they show this whole thing. Well, Eliza's going to talk about this in her final jury question as well, where she basically tells Parvati, like, there's playing the game, and then there's also, like, mercilessly r- mocking somebody both behind their back and to their face. Why did you feel like you need to do all that extraneous stuff? And even though Eliza does vote begrudgingly for poverty after 15 minutes in the voting booth at the end this is a key example of what she's referring to here and i don't want to jump i don't want to jump way too far ahead and jump to another season all that but i I think an important thing if you look if you fast forward a few seasons here you look at what happens in heroes versus villains and you start to think why didn't poverty win in that season i mean some things you can point to are some of the things that she and her fellow villains did that was really you know laughing at the heroes laughing at jt's letter uh those types of things that you know, that really comes back to bite you in the end, and she lucks out on this season, but I think that definitely is, you know, one of the weakest part of, of her game. Yeah, I, I think that with the birth of modern Survivor and with the birth that Micronesia has, I mean, we've talked about jury management in the 15 previous seasons, but I think that it, as we are getting toward more toward numbers and more towards this blindside era and just more the fact that when people are playing the game, more people are playing the game to win and, and and with these numbers things in mind, you're going to start having people that are winning that maybe weren't the nicest. You know, we, we've always talked, and I still think it, it's a major tenant, that the person that wins a season of Survivor is the one that uh, people either liked better or, or respected more. But the reasons for the liking and the respecting are going to change as times change. And, and I think that, you know, jury management sort of is going to go under that thing where – you know, it's never a good thing. You know, they just basically say, hey, you know, if I've got the numbers, I'm going to, you know, get myself to the end and win. And it's like, you still got to be kind of nice. You sort of got to be kind of nice. And I think that Parvati learns, you know, the, the thing is, is she gets away with it in Micronesia. And then in yeah. Heroes versus Villains, she's not going to get away with it, uh, her or Russell, because, you know, not like Sandra is the nicest person on planet Earth, but she's nicer than Parvati and Russell, which yeah. is like, okay, well, that's all we needed. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I mean, and so much of it has to do with just Amanda totally choking at the end. But we'll get to that, obviously. Oh yeah. Oh god. Oh poor Ellie. I I have to say it. I'm I'm 
I really felt for Amanda this rewatch. I, I was watching her in the edits, like, you know, the edits pointing, per, per, uh, portraying her as the hero. Like, it's really her versus poverty, the good versus the evil. So I felt, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I felt horrible for Amanda in this season. I was totally rooting Aww. for her. You can almost hear in the background music, you can almost hear that M-O-N-D-A-N-A. <laughs> How's that go again? Um, you can rewind to listen to this again. I'm not going to repeat <laughs> okay. that. Well, yeah, sp- to make sure. speaking of choking, should we talk about the immunity challenge where people choked on water and almost drowned the redo? Uh, yeah, but uh, first there, we have to get past one very important moment in Survivor history where, you know, Parvati tells Amanda, this is my alliance. I brought in these new girls, but my other alliance is still with you. We just have a bigger alliance now. And Amanda is pissed because, you know, Parvati has screwed her over. And Amanda is livid. She tells us Amanda is livid, and this leads to one of the all-time greatest internet survivor memes, Livid Manda. And I I know some of you are probably more familiar with this than I am. It's one of these comic strips that showed up around Heroes vs. Villains, or uh, uh, Fans vs. Favorites, and it was immensely popular on Survivor Sucks. Paul, I'm sure you want to talk about this? Um, I mean, I definitely don't exist, but I honestly can't picture it anymore in my mind, so you're going to have to describe it, was, it, it better for me. I know I've seen it. It was done in, like, Microsoft Paint, so it's very it's crudely like drawn. It's, 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 it's not very Aaron Reichenbach-esque in terms of its artistry, but uh, it's really funny. It's usually, it's like a comic, so it's usually just, like, JPEGs, but they sometimes incorporate GIFs as well. But, like, such big characterizations, like Parvati has the leopard bikini and her teeth. Uh, are always out. Uh, Jason Siska has a stupid little goatee and is really short. I, I don't do these pictures justice, but it's done really, really well. So I think it's on the Monster Island forum of Sucks still. So I encourage people to go check it out if you want to. It's hilarious. Yeah. Just Google Livid Manda. It's one word, and it's the 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 adventures of Amanda and her and her uh, travails in through Survivor. And it's, that's the funny. Everything always pisses her off. She gets mad and she always shouts, I'm livid. And she gets these big eyes. And it's based on this one scene right here, right before the immunity challenge. So from a historical point of view, this is a big Survivor comic moment. All right, let's go to the immunity challenge that the temp was alluding to, where basically it's let's try to drown people. I've, I've, right I've, before I've, they before they drown them, we get a really you know a great scene of Alexis you know telling Jeff that we named our tribe Dabu and it's just awesome. What an awesome name, Alexis. <laughs> Paul's livid. Okay, livid Paul. Yeah. Oh yeah, and also there's a scene where Eliza says, "I made an alliance with Jason Siska for the first time in Survivor history. I made an alliance with the right person." <laughs> All right, oh, now, we can go, now we can go to the challenge. Go ahead, Mike. I, I, I forget if we talked about this in its initial iteration in Palau, but this is a horrifying mm. challenge to watch. This, because, is, this, is, this is psychologically freaky is what this is. I mean, but yeah. the, I, I can't remember if the people looked more haggard here when they came out of the water than when they did in Palau because, like, I just the, I have the image of Ozzy coming out of the water stuck in my head now. He's usually very gracious, but like graceful. But here he's like his eyes are red. There's snot coming out of his nose. He's puking up water. It's it's a pretty psychologically tumultuous individual immunity challenge. It, it's easy when you watch a show and you you know to just sort of get caught up and oh they're doing this thing, but it's like this is quite literally a form of torture. Yep, and you know, it, you, you know, it's it's best a lot of times not to think about it too hard. I sort of this is a weird tangent, but but I'm gonna point it out anyway. You know, like the original movie Toy Story, where like okay, there's the evil kid Sid that lives next door to Andy, and you know he has the mangled toys and stuff like that. And like Woody and Buzz Lightyear, like literally come up with that plan to like 
you know, tricks Sid into taking good care of his toys where like the toys come to life and stuff like that. And it's all a fun scene and oh, Sid screams and the toys sort of scare him. But it's like they literally have like fucked this kid up for life. Like this kid is now like really psychologically scared. But, you know, let's let's gloss over that. And it's like in Survivor, hey, we're going to gloss over that. This is literally a form of torture that we're going through here. Yeah, for people who don't remember, this is where you're underneath a grate with the the water coming in in high tide. So you have to look straight up, and that's the only way you can breathe. And the water ends up covering your head. So you basically you you're stuck, you're trapped. You have a grate against your face. That's your only source of air. And it's basically who can stay there the longest without panicking. It's basically panic room. It's a it's a horrible challenge, and it's one of those things. It makes me totally uncomfortable to watch. I'm claustrophobic. I know many people are, and this is one of those things I. I couldn't do this challenge for more than about 30 seconds. I'd be out of there. And it makes me wonder, I'm, I'm trying to remember, they did this in Palau. How did Bobby John, with his berserker tendencies, do in a challenge like he this? Was, I forget. He was gone. It was the two challenges afterwards. This is the one where Janu went out first, and she got sent to the original incarnation of Exile. Unfortunately, okay. uh, Eliza wasn't able to make an alliance with her, since she was the right person to send to Exile. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking this challenge is not good for someone who's like impulsive and crazy. You have to be calm and mellow. And Bobby John would not do well at this challenge. What I always love about when they bring back these a challenge for an all star season, they always seem to bring it back and just add a lot of color to it. Like we see this so many times in Survivor. The original one, it's this one colored, great, rusty grate that they're in, and then now they brought it back and they color coded it, like make it more fun. <laughs> it's festive. Yeah, it's, it's festive it's torture. Festive. It's festive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I do have to say this is one of my my gripes with this season is that so a lot of the season is just recycled Palau stuff. They do this challenge. They do Jellyfish Lake. They do smashing the faces. I mean, they do the, the shooting the gun. That was another one. So it's like that's always been my beef with the season. And it, it doesn't stand out as much now because they just don't do cultural stuff anymore. But like at the time, this is only season 16. Most of this, the seasons were very distinct for a location. And this is one of the first ones, if not the first that's not really distinct for a location. They're just recycling plow stuff. So I do remember at the time me thinking that, that they kind of phoned in this season a little bit. They phoned in the thing, but because the theme was, hey, we've got fans versus favorites, you know, and and Chet and Chet. So that there's <laughs> that. They do have the cool thing with the village of Yap that we're going to get to. But I agree with you a lot, Mario. It's they were basically like, hey, what kind of Palau stuff do we have lying around? Yeah. Let's do this. But, uh, you know, it, we talked about the psychological torture and how this could really mess with your mind. So what does it say that Jason Siska won? <laughs> He's godlike. But, yeah, no, there's there's a couple moments that are fun in this challenge where James keeps being bit by the fish. And he's like, hey, keep batting me. <laughs> That's a fun little scene. And then, yeah, so Amanda's out first. Then Parvati, Alexis, Sari, Natalie, Eliza. It's all the, the girls go out first. I don't know if that's just a panic thing or a smaller lung capacity or something. Or the guys can stick their face through the bar a little better. I'm not sure. And then Eric and then, yeah, it's James, Jason, and Ozzy. And and somehow Jason Siska beats Ozzy here. And this is we will not hear the end of this for the next couple episodes that I beat Ozzy in a challenge. that He's not the only godlike one here. It's... It's really hard to root for Jason Siska, guys. I know that we are tend have a tendency as a as a humankind to always root for the underdog in these situations, but when the underdog is such a ratty haired little douche lord like Jason Siska, it's really <laughs> tough to put a rallying cry behind the guy because as you talked about Mario, not only in the next confession, but 
in the next episode, and the episode after that, and in his, you know, rites of passage, the final torch walk where we get the montage of him, all he freaking talks about is how he beat Ozzy in this one challenge. It's goddamn ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. He has bragging rights for life because he outlasted him in the great challenge. But yeah, this is one of those things. I mean, Jason's a very complicated guy because it's, it is interesting how much different Wait, the what? I know. <laughs> what? I'm just going to say, okay, an interesting character. I'm sorry. I don't want to personalize it. But yeah, it's interesting how the edit treats Jason so much different than Eric, even though they don't seem like they're that much different at times. Like, they're both naive. Their game's kind of passing them by. They're over their head. But, like, the editors and the producers hate Jason. They clearly just, they love Eric. Everything they love about him, they, like, they treat him with kid gloves. But Jason, they're just shitting on him every single time he opens his mouth. So it's one of those things, like, I felt kind of bad. I mean... It's fun to make fun of Jason because he is kind of a walking joke when you see everything, especially when you look at his entire storyline and how he goes out at the end. But I do feel a little bad watching it because I'm trying to think, was there a character prior to season 16 that the editors just made no bones about it? Like, we're just going to shit on this guy. He's horrible. Let's make fun of him. Let me point you to the man named Roger Sexton from Survivor Amazon. <laughs> that's um, true. I mean, yeah, that, I, that's an excellent choice. I mean, what I will say, though, is that I actually feel like the, what the editors are painting, according to what the others in Micronesia told us, is not exactly a faulty veneer. Uh, yeah. And that's one of the sort of reasons why I think Jason and Eric are actually two very different people, even though they sort of fit the same sort of archetype at the moment is because from what i heard we hear about how jason siska is on the outs of the favorites or on the fans that's because he apparently was an annoying little shit the entire time they were out on micronesia so i think it makes sense why he was out on the outs the entire time yeah it's I, you're probably right i mean i it's far be it for me to defend jason siska since i've written so much about him over the years but it's like it's very jarring and this is one of the things when people talk about how survivor changes around this time period that you have a character where the editors just shit on the whole time. Like in Borneo, they would not have done that. In Borneo, they really tried to treat everyone with respect. And if someone even got a slightly negative edit, like Stacy, should come off and complain about it in the newspapers, and it was a big story. Like, and it's really how far the show has come from one season one to season sixteen that the producers can just do this. Like, let's just make fun of this guy. Like, we don't have to treat him with respect. Like, we don't owe him anything. So it's it's just it's one of those things when people say the game started to change around here. Even though it's fun to watch, I think in the bigger picture, it's kind of sad that it came to that. Please tell me I'm not alone on this. Someone has to agree with me slightly on that. Damn it. <sighs> That's what I you mean, get for I agree with you. turning down my Batman joke before. Now you're on your own. <laughs> now you're on your own. I agree with you slightly. I mean, the the thing about it is, is that we've talked about in the in the previous uh, iterations of this podcast, different sort of character archetypes. And as we get 16 seasons in, we're not going to see so many original archetypes. And so I guess it's very exciting when you do. Uh, That being said, I I think that you have a point somewhat, Mario, in the sense that, you know, things need to be more sensationalized. You know, things need to be bigger. It needs to be more. It needs to be this. And I think that the way you do that is you cast just a more outlandish people or B, you know, if you like somebody, you really need to pump that up. And if you don't like somebody, you really need to pump that up. So, you know, some of this I feel is very artificial. I mean, there's a there's a very um there, there's a side to Jason Siska if you look at these episodes, especially these few, because he's not gonna last much longer. But there there's part of it that that you can sympathize with. That being said, it's very hard to because with what we're shown and and what's going on there, it's really, really hard because this guy is, I mean, he's a piece of work. It's really no other way to put it. It's true, but in the episodes, he's never actually like mean or horrible to anybody, right? You can at least agree with that. Yeah, I can can even agree with that. Uh, No, yeah. yeah. 
I mean, you're the nasty stuff like... about the cave thing. When he tells the old people that they can't come in his cave, it was pretty nasty. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I forgot well, we was... recorded that like nine months ago. And you do have moments where he's like, Jeff, stop doing your job for a second. I need to make an announcement to the rest of the tribe. <laughs> That's that true. was the best. <laughs> All right, maybe I'll strike some of my argument. But still, I do think the producers do owe it to some of the players to at least show them in a good light once in a while. Just to make it a little, little I mean, even somewhat fair to them. So it's just one of those things that I always find a little sad when I watch this season. Like how far they will go at this point just to... To point out how much they hate somebody, the producer. And, and I'll admit, we'll get to the, we'll, we'll get to this down the line. But even I'll admit, his boot episode. Uh, I think he's given a little bit of an unfair shake there. Well, we'll t- obviously with the fake idol as well. There's, as you said, even the Survivor music people are in on it. But especially in his boot episode, my God, they are piling the crap on top of this man's <laughs> reputation. I mean, you know, and and it goes to my point of who's actually out here at the merge to win the game of Survivor. And, you know, what's everyone's end goal, right? And it's like Jason and Eric, as you guys pointed out, even though they're two very different characters and come up very differently uh, on television, they're sort of, I feel like Jason and Eric are sort of like, oh, I'm here to be physical and perhaps beat Ozzy in challenges. Uh, more so Eric and less so Jason. Jason's the I'm here to beat Ozzy in challenges and also I'm here to figure out what the heck I'm doing here. Like, yeah. You know, I got put on a plane with other Americans, and all of a sudden I'm on an island. Like, what happened? Like, <laughs> they, like what's they going shang- on? They shanghaied him. He was kidnapped. Yeah. <laughs> like Lisi. <laughs> My goal is to figure out what Survivor is. <laughs> all right. That being no, no, said... I, I sort of, no, I sort of have this vision of, like, okay, there's that one episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where, like, they go on the Family Feud show, and, like, Mac has no idea what the game show rules are. So, like, he just, you know, is talking, then he's just like, so then we spin a wheel, right? And they're looking at him like, okay, you clearly don't know game show rules. And it's like, I feel that way about Jason Siska. He's like, so what So what happens now? Jason's the wild card. Wild card! <laughs> All right. So, yeah, so that being said, as I defend Jason, let's go on to make fun of Jason now. Now it's time for all the stick stuff. <laughs> all right, so it's after the thing. Jason has won immunity uh, inexplicably. He talks about it. He goes on his first confessional. You know, I beat Ozzy. Now it's time to get rid of him. So Jason's got this whole master plan. He won immunity. He's going to give his fake idol to uh, Eliza, and she'll be safe. And the two of them will single-handedly turn the vote around and get Ozzy out tonight. So that that is his plan, and he believes with it 100% in his heart. This is all going to work out because his stick with a face on it is absolutely a real idol. Many things work about this scene, but to begin, one of the great things about it is just how sleazy Jason is with this. You mentioned it before, Mario, but, you know, Eliza's like, okay, we're going to need the idol, right? He's like, oh, yeah, you know, I hit it. And she's like, well, you're going to get it? And he's like, relax, baby, don't worry. I'll take care of it. Everything's cool as a cucumber. <laughs> Jason Siska, a.k.a. the Fonz. <laughs> yes, he's got it. Co- I got you covered. Yeah, so uh, here's the scene. Eliza's panicking. I need this idol. You said you're going to give it to me. And Jason's like, all right, relax. Let's go get it. And so... uh uh, let's see what else is going on here. Par- Parvati's pushing for Eliza. We have to get rid of Eliza. She annoys me. I don't want to spend one more second around her. Amanda's trying to push for Alexis, which is a very wise move probably on Amanda's part. Like, get rid of I don't want Parvati having side alliances. Get rid of her side alliances. Shoot shoot the hostage. Get her out of here. So, uh, and then uh, Sari laughs at all, says, yeah, Amanda's jealous of Alexis and Ozzy. So there's all these different plans going on here. But the stick thing, this is the one that everyone remembers. And this is where Jason, what, he gets his stick, he digs it up like a dog, he puts it back in his backpack and leaves the cave so Eliza can go discover it all by herself in the backpack. And I have to say, there, I have some tri- good trivia about the scene, that 
I wrote a whole thing on the Funny 115 about this. It's one of my favorite scenes of any of these middle seasons, the stick scene. And Eliza herself wrote to me about that. She, you know, she reads the Funny 115, so she sent me an email. She's like, I got to give you some trivia. She's like, I've never really told anyone this before, but like, apparently the cameraman, like, the producers were so excited about this big reveal where I was going to go find this idol and, and realize it's just a dumb stick with a face on it that like when Eliza started walking over to that cave to pick up Jason's backpack or get the package, all these cameramen started running after her. And she, she wrote me, she's like, what's going on? She's like, look around. She's like, is this for me? And like, the cameramen are just nodding. They can't really talk to her. So she's like, are you following me? And they're like nodding. So like, apparently she said, the producers had basically said, had told the cameraman, if you don't capture Eliza opening this package on camera, you're fired. She's like, the producers had threatened the cameraman. Like, that is your only job today. When Eliza opens that package, you have to be there in her face and get her reaction. So Eliza just was tickled pink that she got to tell me that. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> big moment. But <laughs> It's great. Know. It's Yeah, it's, I mean, it, 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 you could watch the scene a hundred times and it's always funny. Do we Eliza all, opens the package. Yeah, go ahead. Do we all feel not not just sympathy here for for Eliza, but also I think a lot of people are like, oh, Eliza, you know, is the stick thing, and it's like Eliza's not fooled for one second oh, ever. Yeah. No, yeah. Her for her first words are, "This is so stupid. It's just a napkin." <laughs> well, the first her first thing is that Jason is messing with her. Like, why would Jason be so cruel? He told me he has an idol, and then it, you can see them the gears working in her head. She's like, "Oh my god, he believes this is an idol." So, like, there's a double humor level in the scene. It's not just that Jason's dumb. It's that Eliza, of course, immediately figures it out. And you can have to watch the look on her face as she figures out, this guy's not screwing me over. He's just a moron. So, yeah. So, we get the uh, Eliza opens the package. It's like, this can't be it. This this isn't an idol. And then she goes and confronts him. There's this great scene that everyone remembers. And, again, even if even people who don't like Micronesia love the scene. I can't, I've never known anyone who doesn't think this is one of the greatest scenes in Survivor history. Where Eliza storms down to the beach and there's all this dramatic music playing and she confronts Jason. And they have this whole little <laughs> argument over whether it could be an idol or not. And uh, did you guys write down, I, I've, I've watched this so many times I didn't write down the specific dialogue. Did you, do you write down the exchange? One of you had to. I wrote down a few lines from it. Uh, the ones that I pulled that were very pertinent, or at least the funniest part of the exchange, are Eliza says, what are you trying to pull? This is not the idol. And Jason goes, what is it? And she says, it's a fucking stick. And Jason says, I, I know, it has a face on it. Don't worry. <laughs> that's, that's my favorite part. And again, I've written about this many times where, you know, she points out, it's a stick. It can't be an idol. And he's like, but it has a face on it. I mean, that's his logic. Anything with a face on it must be an idol. <laughs> so you can just see the, the the gears in his head working a little slower than Eliza's. She's working much faster, and it's it's just hilarious watching them try to try to <laughs> agree on the definition of what an idol is. And there is something in comedy writing about word choice, and I don't know. I just have this obsession with the term "it's a fucking stick." Just the the use of the word "fucking" in there, I feel like, just heightens the humor in it by at least you know tenfold because it it typifies it in such a great way that it blows it completely out of proportion, yet really represents the extremities of the absurdity of this scene. <laughs> Yeah, I, again, I feel bad we're not quoting it word for word. Maybe we'll put it in at the stinger at the end of the episode so you guys can listen to it verbatim. But it's such a great scene. And again, I could listen to it hundreds of times and it will always make me laugh. And then you get to the end where uh, Jason's like, what is it? And she's like, it's not an idol. And Jason's like, well, then that's a bummer. I mean, that's, that's Jason's empathy right there. That's a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Eliza, her head's going to explode. She's so furious. I, I will say, well, I will say this. Um, 
it's tough because you know you can see that Eliza's not fooled and stuff like that. But it, again, it's it's this whole obsession with with immunity idols and what you're gonna do with it. And you know you, you've seen it time and time again. Like people who successfully play idols, and we're gonna see a successful idol play. Uh, in a couple episodes here, I, I think. But, you know, especially when there's a lot of people left. Like, I guess, you know, look, th- there's if, if you've got a hidden immunity idol and you're going to go home, you should play it so that you someone else goes home and you stay in the game. I mean, I'm not saying that Eliza and Jason should just roll over here, right? But at the same time, there's machinations going on with the end game that not only don't involve Eliza and Jason, it doesn't involve them to the point that the other people are gleefully telling them that they're no longer involved in the end game of this game. Like, yeah. you know, which, like I said, you keep yourself three more days in the game. Maybe things change. I, I get that. And I, and I don't fault Jason for trying to play the stick or for Eliza for, you know, going along with it and stuff like that. But it, it's it's tough to watch, A, because this is such a not an idol, and Jason is such an idiot about it, and Eliza is so frustrated because she's like, I can't believe that I'm saddled with this gigantic idiot in this stupid stick. But at the same time, you're looking at it like, let's say it was an idol. Let's say Jason did have the idol, and, and he does give it to Eliza, and so he and Eliza are safe that night, and someone else goes home. Like, what then? You know, like, it, it's it's just sort of... It's sad because, you know, no other iteration that I could think of, like, I okay, I get it. Things happen and things can change. You keep yourself three days further in the game. But it's like, these two are so dead meat. Like, like unbelievably dead meat at this point. So it's like, they're like, oh, they're, they're, they're trying to scramble. And hey, you're doing, if I were in Survivor, I'd be doing the same thing that they would be doing. I don't fault them in any way. But at the same time, you look at this whole scene and you're like, oh man, you know, they're trying to get this idol so they could stay three more days in the game. It's like, what's three more days going to do for you guys? Honestly, what is it going to do? Uh, Paul, we haven't heard from you in a while. Anything uh, you want to add here about the famous Stickgate episode? Yeah, sorry. I just feel many time, you know, Alexis uh, is still, you know, being talked about at all because she's still in this episode. So sometimes I just get pissed off and have to mute the mic and, and can't talk for a while. But I, I think with the moment like this, it's just so hard to talk about because it's just so funny and it stands for itself. What I think is kind of incredible about it is that it's this moment that's, you know, become one of the top moments in, in Survivor from that era. Yet we've never seen a Jason return or never seen an Eliza return. I'm kind of surprised by the fact that a moment of that of that magnitude has not warranted the return of either one of those players, especially one who's so godlike. That is a good point. Although I've noticed that Survivor loves to trot out these comic relief characters and then they kind of forget about them. They I don't mean, they I, need to read they need to read the funny one fifteen. They don't realize what's good and what's funny, huh? I think you make a great point. <laughs> <laughs> good on you, Paul. Eliza's an interesting one because I think that you know, again, we all have talked about how we feel about returning players and all that sort of stuff. That being said, I, I, I think that, you know, with the introduction of people returning, you sort of thought that Eliza would return from Vanuatu. And here she is in uh, Survivor uh, Micronesia in, in, in the half-assed season. But, but it being, that being said, Eliza's a, 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 an interesting one because it's like, okay, it's very clear that Eliza's probably not going to win this game ever. And that's not the point of why you bring someone back. You bring them back because they're going to have good camera time and stuff like that. But it's like Eliza then became like uh, spoiler alert for the booth that's going to be happening. Like Eliza becomes like this. She's going to become just as we talk about Micronesia being such an influential season for how gameplay goes and blah, 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 blah. Eliza is going to basically set the template for how jury members act going up here. And it's like, 
I feel like we've seen it. So it's like you bring Eliza back, maybe she makes the merge again, and then she becomes a jury member, and then she's just going to be animated on the jury. And it's like now everyone's doing what Eliza did. So then she has to like, does she have to like then one up it, or is she just going to you know rehash the same sort of shtick over and over again? Like, what's the you know what 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 what's the deal there? Here's the question I have as well: Is Eliza one of the rare returnees who does not have their story changed between appearances on their seasons? Again, these are different people; it's different types of games, but I do feel like there's kind of a through line in both Vanuatu and Micronesia here of Eliza is sort of the social outcast that people begrudgingly work with. And it works out to a certain extent in Vanuatu. She gets, she's able to get to the final four by without her reputation alone. Here, it doesn't work out so well. Parvati and the other cool kids sort of go on their crusade first chance they get. But that seems pretty similar in comparison to, you know, at the very beginning of covering Micronesia, we talked all about how Johnny Fairplay and Yao Man had their legacies get a big black mark on them from their performances in Micronesia. Eliza seems to be a special case in this instance. <laughs> Eliza is basically a Seinfeld episode. No hugging, no learning. There's no story arc whatsoever. No, it, I, and I think you're right, uh, Mike, with that. And, and I think that, you know, I've said before on this podcast, I think that Rupert, you know, is the most consistent Survivor player we've ever seen. But it could also maybe be Eliza. But, you know, Rupert has the advantage of they keep bringing Rupert back forever and ever and ever. And for some reason, they don't bring Eliza back anymore. If they bring Eliza back, I'm sure it's sort of going to be the same thing, probably, you know? Yeah, I can't picture her playing any other way than how she plays. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting now. It's, it's interesting in a lot of ways when you think about it, because we never thought, I mean, Survivor has gone on for a long time, and they keep bringing people back. And, you know, now they're they're all about, hey, let's bring people back from a billion years ago. Like, hey, let's dig up Jervis and bring him back. And it's like, at that point, you know, I mean, Eliza was in her young 20s when she was on Vanuatu. She's in her mid-20s here in Micronesia. She is well in her 30s at this point. You know, and, and it's like, you guys, well, you, Mike and Paul, you don't know, but Mario, you know, like <laughs> 20s to 30s is a gigantic jump in just oh, yeah. who you are as a person and stuff like that. So maybe she's different just due to age, but I don't know. You know, <laughs> it, at that point, it's not a matter of does Eliza change now. It's just like, has time gone by so much that she's a completely different person? In which case I would say, did you want the new person or did you want the old Eliza? What do you want? I mean, that's always questions to ask, right? That is an excellent point. Yeah, that's, I would, I would suspect she's no different now than before. But again, like you said, yeah, age and just life experience takes a big jump between twenties and thirties. Okay. Let's get to tribal council. All right. Oh, we haven't even got to that yet. Wow. No. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, so we get to Tribal Council. Yeah, we still have some good moments here. Okay, we're to Tribal Council. Uh, Everyone knows Eliza's going home. Even Eliza, I mean, even though they they will portray this as her playing the idol, she knew full well that was not a real idol. Yeah, and and that's one thing as well. I kind of want to compare, not to interrupt you too much, but I kind of want to compare this idol play to Jamie's fake idol play from China. I feel like we can view both through the same kind of microscope, and we talked about this in China as well of, you know, this is sort of like a funny moment if you sequester it, but really if you think about the gameplay elements of it, it's something that's really surprising. It's sort of an inevitability. Even in the, the doofy, it's, an, it's a fucking stick scene, Eliza says at the end, like, okay, should I, I guess I should play it? And Jason's like, yeah, you might as well. So it's not like this. <laughs> Go for it, babe. Yeah, yeah, babe, just uh, slip it in there. It's, it's cool, baby, cool. And then Bongo's Are we not doing background. phrasing on this podcast? <laughs> but I, I feel like it's, 
while the the actual idea of like oh they're playing the stick with the face on it and it being thrown to the fire is funny if you're looking at the way it sort of exists within the series of events it it just sort of makes sense as you said mario like she knew it wasn't the idol she made it very well well aware it wasn't the idol this is sort of something that she said might as well do it throw something at the wall and see what sticks uh but as a result it able it's able to create this really great moment of tv yeah what a lot of people tend to forget if you haven't watched this season in a while is even before that there's all these hilarious moments of everyone talking about eliza how she's terrible how she sucks and like alexis paul's friend here alexis starts talking about eliza <laughs> in the past tense oh eliza was good when she was here eliza she had her chance like and just like you know you're talking about her in the past tense right it's a nice little awkward Alexis moment. Another great example of what an underrated player Alexis is. I'm so glad we had her on our television screens. Do, do, Bring uh, Alexis back. Do you think she gives motivational speeches like that in the past tense? <laughs> yeah, how motivational. Yeah. <laughs> I hope she doesn't give funeral speeches. In my, defa- in my defense your, of my life. Your dream was magnificent. You could <laughs> have done whatever you wanted, <laughs> young girls. I, I I must say that that when I when I said I liked Alexis, I never said she was good at Survivor. I completely. I was about to say the same thing coming onto this podcast that like Jay and I are in the camp of not even pro Alexis. We're more so indifferent to Alexis. So it's weird that we're the defenders on this side, considering that if you guys are at a negative one, we're at like a zero. <laughs> Well, you just kind of seem awfully defensive. You're kind of acting like I'm being like irrational with my hatred for Alexis, which I don't think is the case. So I think it's your defensiveness yeah. that's really doing yeah, I didn't, this a lot. I didn't think that Mike and Jay hated Alexis, but now I'm not so sure. <laughs> yeah, kind of overcorrecting here. I think we can all establish here how much she sucks. I take umbrage at your indifference. Whoa, cool <laughs> I think it, you baby. were just challenged, challenged to a duel. Babies, cool down, babes. <laughs> yeah, so anyway... Yeah, this is the bash uh, bash Eliza Tribal Council, where uh, <clears throat> basically Eliza just rolls her eyes a lot, which is great because we're going to be seeing a lot of that on the Jerry pretty soon here. In a weird way, it's refreshing in in the sense that you know Survivor has changed. You know, it, it used to be more laid back. You know, people would would go on the show and they try right, but if they found themselves on the outs of the numbers in early seasons, you remember that where like they're like, okay, well, I guess I'm sixth. You know, and then they get voted out and they're like, yep, I'm sixth. And, you know, they, they you know, you, you saw early people basically saying, if you're going to vote me out, let me know so that, you know, I can be prepared and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, starting with Sestronino and continuing with fair play and continuing this sort of thing, the game has evolved to a point where it's like, if you know you're going, maybe you can work a deal. Maybe you can flip numbers. You can do things. People are more malleable with how they play in alliances because it's not a matter of just, it's not good enough now that I'm in the majority alliance. It's I need to be in the power position in a majority alliance, and if I'm not that, then I need to make a new majority alliance. And so, you know, that's that's the whole thing with this whole blindside era is that you have to blindside people for the most part because if you don't, they can rally against you. But every once in a while, you have yourself a pretty solid majority and someone's going to go home and you can just look at them and go, yeah, you're going home. Like Parvati basically, as you, as you said earlier, Parvati basically told Eliza, like, yeah, no, I'm not really going with you. And here we are at Tribal Council. And they're like, yep, it's Eliza. <laughs> I like that that actually ties into Eliza's story arc in both Vanuatu and uh, Micronesia. Because in Vanuatu, you know, the girls met her for about five minutes. And they're like, yeah, you're ninth. Ninth place. Ninth of the girls. And this one, she's like, yeah, you're eighth on the favorites. Yep. So very consistent, Eliza. All right. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Eliza gets trashed for a good 10 minutes. Jason just sits there and nods like a doofus. And then Jeff, you know, tallies all the votes. Anybody want to, anybody have a hidden immunity idol you like to play? And, of course, Eliza, knowing full well this is not an idol, 
but probably as a fan of the show, knowing, well, at least this will make a fun moment. I don't know if she was prodded by the producers to play. Who knows? But she knows well, a good TV she... moment when she has when she when she sees it. And she's like, all right, we'll play this dumb stick and see what happens. Well, she does that. But I also think that, you know, it, it's a decent move because, you know, a lot of people have said it. And, and as we've said on this this podcast so many times, Trouble Council is so much longer than we see. You know, trouble councils are sometimes hours or whatever with Jeff Probst asking questions after asking questions. Sometimes they take forever and the after they vote to tally the votes. You know, survivors have said so many different things coming off the show about how long tribal council is. And there's a lot of things that get cut, questions that get cut, statements that get cut. And, you know, I know for a fact, I think Tina said in the um, in the All-Stars commentary about when Tina was voted out first on Survivor All-Stars, you know, she got up at the beginning, like when Jeff was like, all right, we're about time to vote. Tina basically apparently said, stop, Jeff, I've got something to say. And she basically then went on like a five minute rant to everybody, like calling out everyone's alliances and this, that and blah, 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 blah. But like they didn't show it because it didn't have anything relevant to do with the narrative they were telling. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of people like Sheehan, I think, in All Stars and, and other examples, it's kind of like when people know they're going to go, they're they're going to try to do some damage on the way out. And I think that Eliza here, A, she's playing the stick because A, why not? B, I think you're right, Mario. She thinks it's a good television moment. But C, she's going to play the stick. And, and if the stick isn't there, then she could just basically look at everyone and say, Ozzy's got the idol. Like, it's, 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 it's damage against Ozzy to leave, to do yeah. this. That is a good point. And uh, I know, Mario, you sort of, as of late, have been a pretty big defender of Ozzy as an actual underrated, funny character. And here is maybe his funniest moment in Micronesia, where Jeff ends up throwing the stick into the fire, uh, making Karen very unhappy. And Ozzy (laughs) says, Jeff, come on, that took hours to make. Yeah, no, Ozzy's great in this scene. Uh, Eliza's great. Probst is especially great in this scene. I just noticed that in my notes I wrote down. Probst is gold here. Yeah, it's just a all-time iconic Survivor scene, yeah. But Ozzy, yeah, just one of the underrated funny characters. He always has a couple good quotes through a season, and this is one of his, oh, come on, that took hours to make, and he's laughing. It's just it's just a great moment. I got nothing bad to say about this whole episode. Not even about Alexis. Oh, come on, I'm sure you can say something bad about Alexis. Well, she she's a die. triple threat. She, you know, we, we established she's a triple threat in this game, so. <laughs> yes. All right, so uh, so with that, that is the end of Eliza. Are we going to do a little uh, I, I feel like we, we, retrospect? We, we, I think we like, eulogize Eliza a little bit, but I guess it can sort of be part and parcel with an additional part of this episode that we should talk about, which is Survivor Micronesia is the first season to introduce the Ponderosa footage. Uh, Paul, ah. I, Paul, I feel like you're like our resident historian's expert on all of the extra show content throughout your early show knowledge. Do you want to talk a little bit about what Ponderosa is and how it started in Micronesia? Thank you, Mike, but please call me Renee Seiler. Um, I think that um, this is a really big deal. I remember when it came out, it was like kind of this crazy thing that you could now go online. And um, I think it was just at CBS.com, and I'm not sure if right away it was available on YouTube. But anyway, you could go online, and you could see in in usually three installments you know, what happens when you get voted out of the game and you head to Ponderosa to spend your time on the jury. And a lot of it's like some, a lot of the, I think at the beginning it was, it was uh, intended to be more like fun and interesting. Like we get Eliza going there and we get, we see what's the first thing she's going to eat. You know, she eats peanut butter with a bunch of chocolate syrup on it. We hear how much uh, weight she's lost, but I think it really does change the way that the fans start interacting with the show because you can now log on and start to really 
dissect what are the jury members thinking and you start to hear them say things that you know once we get to have a lot of things to say about what alexis heads to ponderosa and what the jury says about her but it really does start to get you thinking who's going to win in the end and you start you start eliminating people you don't think can win based on the on the reactions that you're hearing in the ponderosa so this is a huge turning point for the show i'm sure mario watches every single ponderosa and would like to add on to that I'm proud to say I've never seen a single Ponderosa clip. So, so Mario. <laughs> to be fair to Modern Survivor, the cinematography behind it and has gotten so much better. The Micronesia <laughs> Ponderosa better. is jank, jank as hell. So jank. jank. jank, jank. It's like filmed with like like a, a handheld camera that's a production crew member probably picked up on the van ride over there. But don't worry. Uh, the most important thing, as Paul said, is probably the introspection into these jury members thinking as we get closer to the final tribal council. A second to that is probably their overuse of the crest white strips, which they have plenty of throughout <laughs> their time in Micronesia. <laughs> They they make it they make it seem like they they seem to make it like these people were craving it. They're like, oh peanut butter chocolate, oh crest whitening strips. I love crest. Yeah, I heard there was like deleted scene in Survivor Australia where Jerry and Amber were just moaning about how much they miss crest white strips. Well, there's also the one where you know uh, Zoe gets voted off and deep throats the the crest white strip, <laughs> and they tell her, no, no, don't do that. It's not a Snickers bar. <laughs> Well, what would be funny is if Colby used the Crest White Strip and it actually darkened his teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another great thing about the Ponderosa is you see how the contestants are transported around and they put on these, like, they look like Dementors from Harry Potter, like this huge hood, like like the Grim Reaper kind of, that they put on them as they transport them to and from Tribal Council to kind of, you know, this is the era of of Survivor spoilers. Uh, It's really funny to see them kind of disguise the contestants as they're shuffled around. I'm actually going to go watch this clip now because I've never heard that before, and that's hilarious. Yeah, and, and yeah, it's really funny. And back in the day of this Ponderosa as well, they do a fair amount. I think nowadays they do more so like, hey, just hang out in this resort. Again, it's much less jank, so there's like a lot more luxuries going on, even though they do have video games here in Micronesia. But they do a lot of tourism activities too. So maybe they're not mm-hmm. avoiding spoilers too much, but they like go wakeboarding. They go to the Peleliu, like World War II Museum. So there's a lot of stuff that they get to do because obviously they have three days essentially to waste before they have to go back to tribal council so really cool look behind the scenes but this is where it all started do they have to wear the dementor hoods when they're wakeboarding um only if they want to sap people's (laughs) happiness okay i i will say this uh the ponderosa videos are actually the only videos that i do watch other than the episode i know i'm one of those guys it's like ah no bonus content blah 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 but Ponderosa is a different kind of bonus content to me. Uh, I don't necessarily have an issue with like all the preview stuff before seasons. I just don't like to watch it because I, I like to go in cold, just you know, meet everyone as the narrative sort of demands. And I know that I'm, I'm weird in that sense, and most people just like to eat up all the sort of content. But I, I'm more against the, the bonus scenes or scenes that they have nowadays where they just didn't feel like they needed to include them in the episode. And then, you know, it's funny because you watch a modern episode and you're like, this doesn't make any sense. And someone's like, well, if you watch the deleted scene, you will see an interview with someone where they explain blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I shouldn't have to. I shouldn't have to watch a deleted scene in order to understand your stupid narrative. You should be able to tell it in the 43 minutes. That being said, Ponderosa is something different. It's a different sort of narrative. And it's 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 fun to watch these early ones because Ponderosa is now kind of like a machine. It's this 
they've all got a very sort of distinct flow the past, you know, few seasons that they've had. Well, not few seasons, but the past several seasons that have, you know, had these Ponderosa videos. They, you know, and, and my favorite ones are actually in the more modern ones. It's it's the reaction that the people get when they get to the resort for the first night. Do you guys, do you know what I'm talking I mean, about? Like, We're like, like them doing shots yeah. and like. Oh, no, you see the cold who gets like, who yeah. gets embraced, who, who, who gets shunned. Yeah. Or you get, or, or you get really Scott, awkward. Or you get Scott Pollard greeting someone in a luchador mask. <laughs> yeah, you get that, but you get like the whole thing where like you know some people are like, oh, I'm, you know, if it's this person, let's all go hug them, and if it's like if this person, I'm not gonna say shit to him, or you know, blah 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 blah, and you get, you get like the whole thing where everyone's like, you know, oh, what's it gonna be like, and then you, they have the fights in Ponderosa, you know, talking about the game, and it, that's fun, you know, because then everyone in Ponderosa that's been there, that's in the jury already, they're like all clean and in Hawaiian shirts and just upset and then the person's like just back from the island they're like gnarly and nasty and they're just like can i just eat a burger and then we can argue and you know that there's there's a nice flow to them but these early ones aren't quite like that so they're sort of weird treats in and of themselves so the first one is just eliza by herself hanging out with all the staff back at ponderosa right yeah but unfortunately you know if something breaks or the fridge gets left open you do have to blame eliza by default so it's really not that hard to do (laughs) I was saying, after like 10 minutes, are they all sick of her? Like, are they just saying, can we do an outcast twist and vote Eliza back, please? Footage just ends. They stop filming her because they get so annoyed. <laughs> and the last thing I will eulogize about Eliza before we move on to the next episode, hey, hey, we're going to get to another episode, is um, I just said it earlier. Eliza is the first member of the jury for Survivor Micronesia, and she is going to blaze a trail for how jury members are going to react in the jury pit. Do you remember in early juries where Jeff's like, the jury is here to just sit and observe? They're not part of the action? God, those were the days. Yeah, it's one could argue it's a good thing or a bad thing that suddenly the jurors' reactions to what's going on in the game are going to become a major part of these episodes. And I would argue I don't, I'm not really fond of that, but I know a lot of people like it. So I will, I will grit my teeth and bear it that, yes, Eliza was amazing as a juror. Let's get to this next episode. I'm really, really excited to talk about this one. This might be one of my favorite Survivor episodes ever, just because they're, it's most memorably known as the Aussie Blindside episode, but there is so much going on throughout this entire episode that I absolutely love. Okay, it's a good yeah. One. It's a good yes. one. It's so a really good episode. Let's start this episode by uh, saying that right before, at the end of last episode, we kind of alluded to it, but, you know, Eliza play, plays the fake idol. Probe says that's not a real idol, and Eliza goes on a little rant. Well, that means Ozzy has it. Ozzy has the idol, you guys. Let's You, you must flush it out. Ozzy has the idol. So basically, she calls out Ozzy, and this is what everyone, uh, this is what they're talking about the next, or right after Tribal Council, right after Eliza leaves the start of this episode, where everyone's kind of standing around laughing at Eliza. But Ozzy has been called out, that it is kind of a known fact that he has the idol now. And it will become very important here, where uh, because it's Sari. Sari is the first person that kind of says right at the start of the episode, you know, maybe Ozzy going home and the idol being flushed out wouldn't be such a bad thing. Dun, dun, dun. That's, that's going to be the tone of this episode. It's basically Sari getting rid of Ozzy, and it's, it's, it, it all starts right here at the preamble. Because let's remember that Ozzy found the idol, and he did tell people, but he only told Amanda, James, and Parvati. And actually, I believe one of them said, like, should we tell Sari at the time? And Ozzy said no. So the fact that Sari not only found out this information, but found it out so much later than her allies is going to set off so many bells in her head. Yeah, and that's one thing we've learned through Sari's story arcs in Survivor. Do not worry, Sari. Some bad things will happen when she starts to worry. 
Okay, another thing that happens at the start of this episode is there's a couple great Jason Siska moments. Again, if you're keeping your scorecard at home of all the great Jason Siska moments, this is where he's glad that he wasn't the one to play the idol last night because, quote, I would have looked like a fool. So it's a good thing that Jason avoided looking like a fool. I love that. I have this like mental image of like the Jason Siska fan club like having like a national meeting and it's just Mario like sitting in a room twiddling his thumbs. No, it's it's yeah. going to be him and all of the preteen girls that he coaches with gymnastics. <laughs> Mario or Jason? Not me. Let's let my lawyers advise you not to say that sentence again. <laughs> yeah, and then uh Cisco of course has another great line here where he's still bragging that he beat Ozzy in that hold your under the great challenge. And well, this is where the, he gets the great quote where Jason says, uh, Ozzy is not the only godlike competitor here. And again, if you have not watched uh, Micronesia in a while, the words Jason, Siska, and godlike should not be used together, yet they are. By Jason himself. No, but it, it's it's interesting because he is a, a decent physical threat. I mean, and, and that's a, a weird boon that Micronesia has. I mean, we have Ozzy, who's probably the all-time challenge god, and 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 you've got Jason Sisko who can go toe to toe. You've also got Eric Reichenbach. Like you've got people that can do things. So you know, and and even on the, uh, you know, you've got you, even Amanda and Parvati. And you've got people that are that are good challenge competitors on this season. So challenges are you know sometimes you know you get on a season someone emerges as like a really good challenge threat and you're like, well this isn't super interesting. But in Micronesia it's always kind of like man who's going to win? Like it's not always a slam dunk. It's going to be Ozzy. Yeah. Jason might not be godlike, but Jay is correct that he he is right up there. Jay and uh, or Jason and Eric are right there with Ozzy in a lot of these, especially the swimming challenges. Yep. So we'll give Jason a small modicum of credit here. Participation trophy. <laughs> yes. And Suri is usually just happy not to drown. <laughs> Speaking of not drowning, let's go to the next challenge here. <laughs> yeah, Sari won't have to worry that here. She gets shipped off right away before this reward challenge even starts. <laughs> yeah. That's so sad. <laughs> yeah. So this next one is a challenge. It's a reward challenge where you have to swim through this this maze, go through the water, above a net, under a net, all sorts of stuff. And and uh, then you go to the end, you see, you look at a puzzle, then you have to come back through the maze and, and build the puzzle back on the beach. It, this is one of those, those challenges that for some reason I didn't remember when I was watching it. I'm like, I don't remember this scene at all. But it is hilarious because they have two teams of four. And since there's nine players left in the game, one person will not be chosen for a team, will not be allowed to participate or go to the reward. And naturally, since it's a swimming challenge, it's all but determined. Suri will not be participating in this challenge. That Yeah, she is booted to the curb real quick. <laughs> just happened so quickly. Bye, guys. Zoom off to XLI. <laughs> Back across the ocean, but in a boat. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, okay, yeah, we got a lot to get to. Ozzy boot cover here. Don't have time to spend on this. Bye, Suri. Yeah, put yeah. her in the Dementor hood. Ferry her off. <laughs> <laughs> the dementor hood. It, it's it's also a really in, it, well not interesting but you know it, it's a challenge i actually like the challenge in the sense that they make them go through something really rigorous in swimming and then they have to go and look and memorize sort of a, a how a puzzle is arranged and they have to go rebuild it but they've got extra pieces that that look similar but aren't quite there so you know you can mess it up and it's like you know if, if you have to go look at the board again you have to do all the stupid you know uh physical stuff you know all the swimming and going through the net and the and the obstacle course to kind of go through there but it's really funny because it's set up as a schoolyard pick which is how Sari gets not picked and goes to exile island but they randomly draw and natalie and jason actually become team captains and it's a schoolyard pick and jason gets first picked through the rock paper scissors 
He wins. He's godlike at rock, paper, scissors. And then he picks Ozzy first. So Jason and Ozzy are first. And then Natalie picks James as the counter. And then they pick Eric. And then and then they pick Amanda. So like you have one side that's Jason, Ozzy, Eric, and Amanda. And it's like, well, we, do we need to run this at this point? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, I was watching that. I'm like, James is, is Natalie's first pick. I'm like, James isn't particularly known for being a great swimmer. And I wouldn't know he's going to be the best puzzle guy. So why was he the top pick to counter Ozzy? I bet that was Alexis's idea. <laughs> well, did it, well, Natalie also, I think, did it, she was one of the captains in episode five during the swap, and she picked James then, too. So maybe she just wants to hold to a pattern the entire time. Maybe she thinks it's good luck or something. Yeah. Well, I, I think that that's, that's, that's where favorite bias comes in, right? Where I think that, you know, if, if the fans are looking at people they want to pick in challenges, probably Ozzy's first, right? Like, you pick Ozzy. But Ozzy was picked, and so I think that it's by reputation. Like, I don't think that Natalie is looking at Jason or Eric as, you know, better options, even though maybe she should have. So she just goes, well, James. And it's like, well, James is probably not the best pick here, but he's, he's not bad. But then, you know, you've got, you've got this side that's got Eric, Jason, Ozzy, and then Amanda. It's like, yeah, they, they, they did well. <laughs> they go win. <laughs> and they did by a yeah. lot <laughs> although i should point out that there's a great moment at the start of the challenge where they do like you said the rock paper scissors and jason like you said godlike at rock paper scissors beats natalie and thrusts his fist into the air in triumph that he won rock paper scissors so he's a on lot, our, he, a challenge high here he does a lot of fist pumping i don't know if jason just watched a lot of never-ending story or something but like almost everything he does he's punched he's punching or i was gonna say fisting he's fisting something at some point in time <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my! Oh, we're, we're, we just won't touch that joke. <laughs> but, okay, but, yeah, but, so- but but here's 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 the thing: the challenge is a good challenge. It's not the most uh, entertaining television screen challenge, and it's not particularly close. Amanda, Eric, Jason, and Ozzy win the challenge. Mario, Mike, or Paul step in. What do they win? They win a, a one night or one day zero night trip to the village of Yap. Yeah, this is one of one of the uh, the few cultural rewards in this season. Where yeah, there's this uh, village in the middle of nowhere. It's like been there for what hundreds of years. They have the original stone steps. It's like a really. It's never really progressed. It's just this ancient Micronesian village where people still live and people do old customs and they get to go to the village of Yap and have a feast. And it's a really cool scene. And they come with boobs, too, so that's always fun. Oh, <laughs> that's boy. true. We're going to get some boobs. Yes. Denise makes a return, the lunch lady with the boobs. <laughs> yes. Oh, if only James could have been there to see it. <laughs> Damn, he missed that one. <laughs> I don't die. Okay. He would have he eaten that whole apple pie, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Great. We've gone from fisting to eating the apple pie. Nice job. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So, the, the winning team of Ozzy, Eric, Jason, and Amanda gets on the plane they have to fly out to the village of Yap, and there's a great moment where Jason sits in the co-pilot seat, <laughs> who is exactly who you want on your plane if, if the pilot has a heart attack. I want Jason Siska to take over. Jason, you like gladiator movies? <laughs> yes. So here's Jason in the co-pilot seat. I'm like, oh, that's going to be a problem. Don't worry, babies. I'll get this one cruising at 40,000 feet. <laughs> Don't relax. <laughs> funny like I, I feel like in the final seconds as they're like crashing the ground like you know he just gives you that bewildered look that he gives and he's just like turns out i can't fly a helicopter bummer <laughs> good thing i didn't eat the fish i would have looked like a fool <laughs> oh another airplane reference fantastic 
All right. So, yeah, so they fly out to this village of Yap in the middle of Micronesia, and they have to walk up this stone, these stone steps that I forget who says it is Amanda or someone says these things have been here for hundreds of years. They've all been worn down by all the people walking on them. And yeah, it's a really cool scene. There's lots of culture, there's dancing, there's food. They eat all this, ain't this uh, traditional Micronesian food. It looks like it's been cooked in a pit, like Hawaiian food, I would assume. That's what it looked like the like the pork had been steamed underground, maybe. Yep. And uh, yeah, Amanda's in heaven. She's loving it. And they're just this is this is a great scene. And maybe between this and Jellyfish Lake are like the only two moments I can think of in Micronesia that have any really cultural value. We actually kind of see what it's like to live there. But I, and then we get boobs. Yeah, I was gonna say I would put this scene above Jellyfish Lake from an entertainment perspective because I'm so glad that Eric Reichenbach goes on this reward. He is the perfect narrator between him starting off talking about how the path was out of time and he was afraid a dinosaur was going to come out and eat them complete with a T-Rex noise from like the ADR from Jurassic Park. Uh, and then he, I, I love the editing here where he's like, Oh, this, I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. And then it just cuts to boobs, just bare boobs. And then he, he talks about the lunch lady and he says, this is the most boobs I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to be a real boy. <laughs> Yeah, it's Pinocchio. Yeah. It, it was funny, and I, I guess I I can relate. I was sort of like uh, snickering a little bit because you know he talks about he's like you know oh well you know just in the middle of everywhere it's like going back in time and and you know being in Yap you know we were in Yap in the in the Republic of Yap and blah blah, blah. and he's like and I'm from Pinckney you know which is sort of far removed from everything else and it's like look Pinckney Michigan is is like a it's a small town and it's it's a little bit removed and Michigan's a weird state in the sense that like you could be in a city and then you could especially in the in 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 certain areas in Michigan you could be in a large city and then literally drive like 20 minutes out of the city and then all of a sudden you're in country you know like it, it transitions really fast I can't I can't picture this keep going <laughs> <laughs> I mean, does Eric does Eric live on the other side of 8 mile or is he on the good side <laughs> well He's but but the other thing that's funny is that you know he's just like well you know I I live in the backwards of Pinckney it's like literally like twenty minutes from Pinckney is the town of Ann Arbor which has the University of Michigan it's like you're not that far away from from civilization there Eric like you know it, it's not you're really not like if you're like Michigan's a weird state because you know it looks like the hand and it's got the upper peninsula it's like if you're like up in the upward part of the hand like sort of where the fingers start forming yeah you're near nobody but if you're in that lower part you're not that far from a big city <laughs> and that's firmly where eric is he's very close to big cities all around him so he's just like oh, i'm really removed from everything it's like no eric you're not dude like seriously so eric is basically pulling an unfrozen caveman lawyer here i'm just a caveman i've never yeah. seen <laughs> utensils and boobs and and people cooking their food yeah and i mean you you talked about eight mile in detroit like He's he's like twenty minutes from Ann Arbor, which means he's literally like forty minutes from Detroit. Like he's not far. Like he can go to a big city. It's not that far. But what is the Beetle Nut scene like in Ann Arbor? Uh, it's it's uh, I mean you know it's a college town, so I'm sure it's thriving. But uh, I'm sure that there's there there's a lot more hacky sack and less you know a kendo stick. All right. For people who haven't seen this scene in a while, yeah, this is a scene where Eric is being introduced to all the temptations in the world where he gets a thing <laughs> called beetle nut, which is some, he says it's some sort of tobacco almost, or it's probably maybe a little like kava, like Chad gets torn up on. So yeah, so Eric is getting high or stoned or whatever on beetle nut. And he's and, been uh, drinking the beer. He's been drinking the beer and, you know, he's seeing the boobs. He's like 
Buster and um, Arrested Development with the juice at this point. It's going crazy. <laughs> this is going to be off the hook. <laughs> yeah, and but even Ozzy, I mean, it's we're we're talking about it being all comical, but even Ozzy says, you know, it's really sweet and it's kind of interesting watching Eric. Eric's so innocent and so much like a child. It's interesting to watch him experience these things for the first time. Like everyone else is kind of jaded, but not Eric. Eric, everything is new and exciting to Eric. So it isn't is it isn't played as quite as comically as as we're talking about it here. Until, he, until where, he pukes everywhere. Yeah, until Eric starts puking, and then it becomes much more funny. Then it, yeah. I tossed my cookies. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I love your Eric impression. That's great. <laughs> all right, so yeah, so Eric's puking all over the place. It's like, damn, damn that beetle nut. And, uh,. <laughs> Okay, so we having we have the big anything else about Yap? I want to move on to Suri here. But you guys any more have any quotes about it or anything? No. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, so we go back and and you know Suri having been chosen to sit out of the challenge didn't get to participate. She she isn't at the village of Yap having the beetle nut. She's not seeing boobs. She's not having any of the fun. So she's just sitting there lamenting her life on Exile Island, and she's like, you know what? I think it's time to get rid of Ozzy. So she's formulating this plan to get rid of Ozzy next. So the, again, the dun 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 dot 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 at the end of every scene, you know it's coming, and they start playing the ominous music. So get ready, Ozzy. Uh, you're about to go through a wild adventure. Here's though the the difference between Suri and even perhaps like Amanda. You know, you've talked about uh, Mario that that Amanda could you know, is emerging to you narratively as like a hero of this season, and that may be true. I'm not denying that, but. Sari is such a good player, and I'm. We've talked about it before, and we're going to talk about it some more. But the 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 wonderfulness of Sari here. It's we talked about how Parvati and Amanda were sort of two sides of this coin, where Parvati tried to shore up her defenses at the merge and say, "Hey, I've got these new people, Natalie and Alexis, and I can be in alliance with them, or I can stick with James and and those people, and I, I've got different pathways to keep a majority alliance to get down to my final three. And Amanda looked at that and bristled and said, we don't need new people. We just stick with the people we have, right? Sari is sort of with them. She's the third component of their final three. She didn't go out like Parvati and make these new friends, and she didn't go back like Amanda and say, we need to stick with the people we have. Sari looked at this whole thing and said, what do I do? But if you notice, Sari befriended Natalie and Alexis, didn't make an alliance with them or something like that, but but friended them, mm-hmm. and now she's got options. And so now Sari says, you know what? Maybe it's a good time to pull the trigger on Ozzy. Sari left herself options with the, both of these things. Parvati made the move to make more friends and make double alliance sort of deals and stuff like that. Sari is now going to capitalize on this. Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that because, yeah, this is totally the Sari thing. Sari is the, the, the superior player, clearly, in this point of the game. But you'll notice in the narrative later on, they'll start pointing out that Parvati took out Ozzy. Yeah. It's like, no, she didn't. It no, was he, Ozzy. But they, yeah, they start giving Parvati credit for stuff that Sari's doing. This is one of the most egregious examples, and we'll talk about it a bunch next season with Gabon, where the previously on almost directly contradicts what happened in the previous episode. And you can sort of tell from the previously on what yes. production and the editors are sort of hinting towards as to what they want the story to be, which again is a little strange because we just got told one episode ago that Sari was the one to make the move, but. If we're getting hints that Parvati might be our winner, one of the first signs towards that is the beginning of next episode when it says, Previously on, Parvati helped orchestrate a huge blindside against the most powerful person in the game. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Which didn't happen because, as you said, Mario, Cerise here on Lexa Island going, and she already said earlier in the episode, maybe I want to get out Ozzy. Yeah. 
All right, so let's get to that here. Now, uh, we cut to a scene here, uh, since we're just trashing poverty a little bit here. We get to the next scene where they get back, all the players that lost the challenge are kind of sleeping in in the morning, and, and James is trying to do some work around camp, and all the girls are sleeping <laughs> in. And Parvati kind of wakes up and is like, James, we're sleeping. Could you not do that? Well, and James, of course, does not like being told not to do things, as we learned back in China. So he goes on a little rant. He's like, yeah, Poverty, she got some nerve. Like, I don't know how long I can take this. Like, she's sleeping in. I'm doing all the work. Like, he's just pissed. Just, again, just very much reminiscent of what happened in China. And once again, we see Poverty's amazing social game here. <laughs> he did learn his lesson from China, though. At least he didn't sing to them to wake them up, like, in, like last time. <laughs> yeah, he's trying his best. No, he, yeah. but he knows what he's doing. And that's always the... The interesting thing it's it's it, it's the whole thing of working versus not working right and it's like james is a workhorse he wants to get up and work and do chores and he's hanging with people that clearly don't right and so logic tells you hey maybe i should just knock it off for a little bit and james knows that and he also knows that maybe he could you know because he was chopping wood or splitting wood for the fire or something like that and it's like he literally could go just a uh, like a hundred feet away and around the corner and, and do that sort of stuff. But he wanted to make a statement. He wanted them yeah. up. He wanted them out of there. And so he literally, you just see it in his stance and just the way he's going. He's just like, I'm just going to sit here and make a bunch of noise until they wake up. And yeah. it's like, that's a move. It's fine. <laughs> you know, you could do that. But, you know, as much as we love James and I love James and I, I feel like they could bring James back as many times as they want. And I would probably be OK with it. But it's like James is never going to win Survivor. And here's Exhibit A. Yeah, yeah. No one says James has an amazing social game. Least of all right. James, he would be the first to admit that. Right. Yeah, but again, Parvati's just going to get a crappy edit this whole episode. Yeah, she she really does, you know, because she's just talking about blah blah blah, blah. and then and then it's going to get even worse when the uh, when the winners come back from the from the reward. Yeah, yeah. So the winners come back and <clears throat> they are, they start talking about it, their uh, their trip to yap and the boobs and everything and ozzy starts raving about the food oh the food was so great it was amazing we had this we had this and poverty starts getting annoyed like i couldn't believe ozzy just started to tell which is a perfectly reasonable you know response like I, if i'm hungry i don't want to hear about food but it, it's interesting they start showing her complaining about this because they don't normally show the winners complaining like that and now we have a scene where james pulls everyone aside he pulls amanda inside and he's like Poverty's being a brat. She's annoying. She's bossy. She's pulling in all these girls. She wants the girl power. She's just a brat. So she's really getting the editors are really throwing Poverty under the bus in this episode. It's not her fault. She didn't want to hear about butter sauce, okay? Or the mangrove crab or banana pancakes. But uh, yeah, so we get people, the, the guys are starting to get annoyed by Poverty. Amanda tells us yet again she's worried about Poverty. She's like, Poverty's way too close to Natalie and Alexis. I don't trust it. Like, this is just a horrible edit for Poverty. And then, uh, and this is where Amanda gives us a little warning. She's like, you know, Parvati's up to no good. Ozzy better be careful. And again, one more. There's a lot of foreshadowing in this episode that something bad's going to happen to Ozzy. And uh, with that, I believe we go right into the immunity challenge. Although I think we get a little where Jason Siska says, oh, I have to beat Ozzy at this one, which, you know, I'm 100% successful in doing. But I just have to do it again, so I will win this one again. So this is how we go into the immunity challenge. This is yeah, the- and it's the tried. Yeah. The T-Bird slash Sheehan Memorial Challenge. Yeah. Yes. T-Bird Cooper. Yeah, pouring a somewhat liquor on the ground in her honor here. <laughs> that this is the one she won in Africa, one of my all-time favorite challenges. This is a scene in particular that I had great fun with on the Funny 115 because there's a lot of fun stuff going on here. And uh, this is one of Alexis's lower moments, so I'm sure Paul is 
Oh, top, top three challenge of all time, baby. <laughs> yeah, she didn't get anything to eat. <laughs> she didn't. It's a, it's a, it's a it's a Jeff Probst dick moment for the ages. Oh, it really so, is so so good. But there's so many times. This is probably James's. If we're talking about like the James low light a couple of scenes ago with him disparaging the the work ethic around camp, this might be the highlight of James's time in Micronesia with just his various reactions to this challenge. <laughs> I love James has no inner monologue. Whatever he's thinking will come out in his mouth, and he has odd ways of phrasing things, and you'll see it coming up here. Okay, yeah, so this is the challenge for people who don't remember. You're holding your arm up in the air. It's tied to a bucket, and if you move your arm, the water will spill on your head. And unlike in the past, I forget if they've done this before, but the water is colored in this one. Wow. But this is my this is my point of bringing back a classic challenge. You just have to add more color. And they brought it back in, uh, you know, the original time in Africa. There's no color at all. They're just normal buckets. Then in All Stars, they they color the different stands that they're on, and then like, okay, we got to add more color. Let's uh, color the water. Let's keep going with this. Yeah, it's they, a Palauan tradition. They love this in Palau. They love color. Well, they saw all those Gatorade commercials where Michael Jordan's like glowing sweat, you know, and they were like, let's 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 try to recreate that. <laughs> All right, so, uh, yeah, so they all have their arms up in the air, and uh, what I forgot is how long this challenge goes. This actually goes six hours. Yeah. But at I mean, the start... That... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, they, they, those, these ones go forever. They really do. And, you know, sometimes that happens. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, the start, uh, probes comes out after a couple minutes, I forget, and you know, they all have their arms in the air. The very start is where it's the most uncomfortable, because you're just getting used to it. And, and probes brings out a... Uh, a what is it, a bowl of candy there's like gummy worms and stuff in there he's like who wants to step down for candy and eric and suri immediately bail for the candy which is great for suri because she knows she wasn't going to last too long so might as well go for the candy so yeah eric and suri pull down almost immediately and james kind of looks over there in disgust he's like what in the nickelodeon is going on here what in the nickelodeon who, do, who knew that james clement was such a big fan of old school cinema because as we all know i'm sure uh, nickelodeon referred to the old type of viewfinder that existed which showed a bunch of still pictures in a row simulating the idea of animation yes james has always been a film buff thank you don draper i have a question um I have a question, though, regarding candy. It's a weird thing because, you know, sometimes you think like, oh, this thing would be really good to eat when you're starving, but it it goes right through you and stuff like that. Um, Is candy decent to eat then? Because, you know, it's sugar, which isn't great for your system, but it is calories and it doesn't seem like it's something like that's got like all the nutrients that go right, right through you. Like I, I was really trying to like sit here and think about whether that bowl of candy was was it was a decent call or a not decent call. I think as long as you deep throw it, you're okay. It doesn't really matter that much okay, about okay. the oh, nutrients in it. Good point. But... Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I'm no nutritionist, but I would think it's just a kind of a, a quick burst of energy. But yeah, yeah, like you said, it's not going to go through you. Like, I don't know if a bean burrito would be the optimal thing to eat right then. But yeah, I think candy is. You're not going to have too much damage from that. Right. That's kind of what I was thinking. So I was like, you know, candy's not a bad call here. Yeah. But uh, that's not the first temptation that happens. What is the first temptation? No, that was the first. I mean, that's uh, yeah. I mean, oh, that that's not the only yeah. temptation. Next, next Sorry. one is really the most eventful one. Uh, so it's at, I think it's at 45 minutes. Jeff just brings out a covered platter, and before he can reveal what it is, Alexis, I don't know if she falters or if she was purposefully going for it, but she drops out, uh, but is told by Jeff immediately, well, I didn't technically say what was up for grabs, so you're not allowed to take it now. Any comments, Paul? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, 
<laughs> it's a great scene where her where, uh, bitter face is so great. Yeah, Alexis is so pissed that she doesn't get whatever food, and she she points at Jeff and has this horrible hurt look on her face, like he brought food, and Jeff's like, no, sorry. Sorry, babe. To, to, to be fair, Alexis, I don't know if you've noticed, but Alexis has a key phrase that she's drilled into the past couple episodes, which is the land of milk and honey. She's always describing how, oh, is this reward like the land of milk and honey? Oh, we're going to the Malakal Beach. That's like the land of milk and honey. She's being, being given her chance at half of the requirements for the land of milk and honey, and she's so sorely deprived of them. So I can understand her anger at this point. Yeah, I, yeah, I, can, under, I can understand Jeff's... Uh, move with it because you know he didn't offer it officially and all that sort of stuff it, it's interesting though because he does come out with it behind his back she sees him they're all they all are reacting it's not like he snuck up on them and they were like oh hey it's probes right now and, and blah blah like he comes in and they all start doing the oh jeff's got something blah, blah 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 and she immediately like slams down the you know her hand and she gets dumped by the water and she's pointing at jeff and jeff's like well, I didn't tell you what it was, so you don't get it. It's like, whoa, dick. <laughs> well, and what I would like best is when the next episode, when they say, previously on Survivor, for, uh, poverty orchestrated it so Alexis could not get a cookie. <laughs> yeah, there's a great shot where with you show they show Jeff holding the milk and cookie, and Alexis is sitting right behind him glaring at the cookie. <laughs> it's such an... I actually have it as my... Uh, I believe I have it as my uh, Skype profile picture right now. Well, I did. Yeah, well, great. No, she can feel the way I feel every time she comes on my screen. So, you know, payback's a bitch. <laughs> yes. Wow. And then wow. Probes just, just twists the knife even more because Alexis is still pouting. And Probes is like, you can mope and be mad. <laughs> For the record, when I was rewatching this episode, my wife Alice came in the room and said, shut up, Alexis, and then kept going by. So. I picked the right one. Wow. You picked the, a good the, one, Paul. The Osselson household is united in their hatred towards Alexis Jones. That girl. <laughs> I feel like the ultimate Jeff Probst move, because you know sometimes like he brings out food and no one is tempted, and he's like, well, I'm just going to give it to the people who are out, right? Like He totally should have done that like while Alexis was sitting there. Everyone but Alexis gets a cookie. Right. Everyone over here, oh, no. get a cookie. Alexis, no, not you. No, 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 not you. <laughs> or, no, I heard, no, they gave Alexis a cookie, and she just gives it to Maddie instead. So I don't know exactly why they decided to distribute them that way, but that's how they do it. <laughs> Poverty, she's crafty. I don't know how she made that happen. <clears throat> yeah, so anyway, all throughout this scene, James is cackling like a madman. <laughs> he thinks this is the funniest thing. And then right after that, Natalie accidentally pulls over her bucket and james is still cracking up he thinks this is the funniest thing that all these girls are just screwing up and going out and as james is laughing he's like oh that would suck and then all of a sudden somehow he moves he's like oh bitch and this water comes right down on his head it's, uh, it's it's the sur- such a great moment it's the real life equivalent of like when wiley e. coyote runs off the cliff but he's hovering in the air until he looks around and notices his surroundings and then he falls that's exactly what it was and it's so much fun <laughs> Yeah, again, I'm just kind of listing all these things I'd like to use as a stinger at the end of this episode. I think we're on like five or six different things now, but I'd love to th- throw in that James saying, oh, bitch, and then the water falling on his head. If if you haven't seen that scene in a while, just go back and watch this. What is this, episode 10? Mm-hmm. Yep. Episode 10, uh, Immunity Challenge. Just watch it for James. It's it's hysterical. So anyway, so then, James is out. Yeah. Yep. So Natalie was out, and then James is out, and, and it's glorious. And then... Uh, a little bit later, like about an hour in or so, so not too long after all of this, uh, the Alexis uh, <laughs> debacle, and then subsequently the Natalie and James debacle, uh, Jeff comes out with three three or so donuts, yeah. and uh, Ozzy drops at that point. And then it's basically three people left, and 
like five hours in. So like then we have this long cut, and then five hours in, Amanda's basically like, "I gotta pee. See you later." <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, what what is that? You have to pee so you drop out of the challenge. Like T Bird would have pissed herself. She just would have stood there and peed because she wants. Sorry to that. Sorry that we have manners in Montana, Mario. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. So Amanda does her little bouncy Amanda run off into the woods. If you watch, she like bounces off like a d- baby deer. I wrote that down in my notes. I was like, <laughs> Mario is going to say something about Amanda running. <laughs> I cannot get enough of Amanda running. She just bounces. Yeah. Well, well, I have to say something about Ozzy, by the way. Why is it that Jeff Varner has had to take this hit for years that he went down for peanut butter and got voted out? Yet Ozzy doesn't take the same hit for going out for glazed donuts in the episode he got voted out. Well, I mean, I think the idol definitely helps because it's not like he's completely in danger here. He had a viable way to save himself. I think what people more so note, note him for here is the fact that he didn't use the idol, not that he stepped down in the immunity challenge. Because even though they were close to the water and Amanda was making water, they were not in the water. And that's <laughs> Ozzy's real forte. Wow, that was impressive. Well, there's yeah. that, but I also I also think that Jeff Varner takes the hit because, again, I, I can't speak for it all, but everything was very telegraphed in uh, Australian Outback. So I think that, you know, uh, Kucha knew that Ogakor was going to vote for Jeff. And I think that Ogakor knew that they were – who did they – they were going to vote for Keith, but then he got immunity. So then I forget who they vote for. Who did uh, Kucha vote for? Uh, Colby. It was – it was Colby. It was yeah. Colby. Yeah, it was Colby. So, you know, um, fired from historians. Yeah, immediately. My to be bad. fair, Jay, you didn't recognize him. He used the quest, the crest dark strip. So his teeth was just completely <laughs> blackened out. So that's so, I put on the Dementor hood. Get out of here. You know, and, and, and as much as we hate to use the, the phrase, Ozzy gets completely blindsided here. I mean, you can always talk about should you drop out in these challenges? I mean, we, we've talked about that before, and I think that it's it's still an argument to this day. Do you fall for a temptation? And I think the answer is, if you know you're 100% completely safe, you should fall for the temptation if you're hungry and you want that item. And in this case, Ozzy's got a hidden immunity idol. I mean, I think he's feeling pretty good, but I mean, Ozzy's Ozzy, so stuff happens. Okay, so with Ozzy out of the challenge, now we're down to... The classic uh, Battle of the Titans here with Parvati versus Jason Siska. <laughs> you know, the, the true uh, Rocky Balboa versus, exactly, versus Apollo Creed. Yeah. So this goes on for actually six hours, which I didn't remember until I watched this episode. Like they're up there like an entire school day. <laughs> so yeah. And then this is when Probes finally brings out the heavy guns. You know, these two were going out there forever. And Probes brings out, brings out the biggest plate of food he possibly could. It's, he brings out the craft services table. He's yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, cookies, donuts, beer, candy, peanut butter, pizza. It's basically a Rosie O'Donnell breakfast. <laughs> this is going to be the, these are the rewards for the next two reward challenges. We put everything together just to make you step down. It's raining, it's cold. Please, please go. This might be one of the only challenges where, like, all the players sitting on the bench, Parvati, and probably the entire production team were like, Jason, step down, let everyone just eat that food, and let's leave this campsite. Yeah, it, it literally looks like they they pilfered everyone's lunches from from somewhere because like none of the stuff makes sense together. Like it's not just like oh I've got a you know spread here everything. It's just like I got some pizzas. I've got like peanut butter and some chocolate over here in case you were feeling the nude thing. I don't know if that was a thing <laughs> you were going to do. Please, please. Probably... <laughs> I'm addicted now was... to those sweet sweet breasts. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't top that. I was gonna wonder if there was also some uh, root beer, beef stew and root beer back there too. You know, <laughs> odd pairs. So basically, they brought out all the food that James and Alexis haven't been stealing from craft services. 
Oh, we'll get to that. <laughs> Man, I, I was wondering. Stand by, Renee. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So if one of them steps down, everyone gets this plate of food, and Alexis gets her fucking cookie. So that's kind of the, the dilemma here. It's the prisoner's dilemma. So yeah, and so uh, I believe Natalie is the first person to play the Jason Siska as a moron card and say, you know, Jason, if you step down, we could all swear not to vote you out tonight. <laughs> and Parvati, of course, Parvati, who will later get credit for this, Parvati inspires Natalie to come up with a plan. No, Parvati goes, uh, Jason, you can make friends. And now you can already see, oh, I, I see where we're going here. And by the way, for all the people who remember Eric Reichenbach making this doofy thing later in the season, let it be known that Eric, that Jason does it first here. And this is, it's, it's as much as we disparage Jason, it's tough to watch here because they're all laughing behind his back and crossing their fingers. But one by one, they slowly, methodically each say that they promise. Uh, James is done with this shit. Uh, he seems yeah, he's been, laughing. I think he's the last one to finally say that he he promises, but he's just like he's just like I'm surrounded by complete idiots here who don't do work and who step down from immunity just because a bunch of people pinky swear that they're not going to vote him out. No, I love the scene where Jason's like, "Well, I'm going to need some sort of a guarantee." And they're like, "Well, we promise." He's like, oh, "Okay, then." <laughs> Wait, that's the guarantee. I thought she get in writing or something. You get a lawyer out there. Yeah, they're all crossing their fingers. It's just a ridiculous scene. I mean, the legend of Jason Siska will live on forever. And this is one of those scenes that people tend to forget. They remember the stick. They remember him not playing his idol. But this is one of those. This may, might be even dumber than the other ones. And the fact that it actually worked out for him, I mean, I guess he gets retroactive credit for it. But it's not really, it doesn't really work out for him. It's just that Suri wants to get Ozzy out instead. Yeah, so after six hours... Jason pulls the string, they all get their food, and Alexis gets some sort of food, I'm assuming is the cookie, and I know Paul was crying now. Yeah, I was pissed. That's why this episode was great to this point. It really takes a turning point, really you know, peaks here and goes downhill once she gets food in her stomach. Yeah, and people say Worlds Apart is unpleasant. I mean, this is the one where Alexis gets her cookie. This is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so yeah, so, so Jason gives up immunity to Parvati, and they're all just laughing at him. They're like, are you kidding me? And then uh, they go back to camp. And Ozzy is like, you know, Jason just fell for the oldest trick in the book. And then James is even like, that boy's a fool. <laughs> James will never hold back. And uh, and this is where we get Ceri's master plan that Parvati comes up with. Where Ceri says, you know, Ozzy is so fixated on taking out Siska tonight. This is the perfect time to blindside him. He wouldn't see it coming. So Ceri has organized this whole plan. We're going to take out Ozzy tonight. He'll never see it coming. He'll never play the idol. The only catch is don't tell Amanda. Amanda will crack. She's too close to Ozzy. So they have to leave Amanda in the dark. And other than that, it's all set up. And we're going to get one of the great, I hate to say it, but again, blind sides here. Well, it's, it actually reminds me a little bit of the chain from Amazon. And as much as we may be talking down the angle of poverty was the one to organize this, I do feel like she does play kind of a pivotal role here in that we've talked about the fact that she got close with Natalie and Alexis while they were on the old iRide tribe. And Sari is really looking to... She essentially started by eliminating the people that would tell Ozzy that it was happening. So no Eric, no James, no Amanda. So essentially the other five need to join up right here, right now. So she grabs Parvati, and with Parvati come Natalie and Alexis, and with Natalie and Alexis come Jason. So it's one of these weird alliances that will stick together for only one vote, but you know, you're know you sort of dependent on the person that you tell to gather the people that they know to help you with this. 
there's a great moment where Natalie and Alexis pull Jason aside and say, you're not going home. You're safe. Just don't say anything. Play dumb. He's like, all right, baby, I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm smooth as velvet, babes. Don't you worry. (laughs) So so it's all set up here. Everyone knows except Ozzy and Amanda. And uh, I believe James doesn't know either. But James is the one saying, he tells Ozzy, right before Tribal Council, James is telling Ozzy, you know, I'm, I'm kind of worried here about poverty and girl power. And Ozzy's like, yeah, I'm kind of worried about that too, but I trust my alliance, so I think we're okay tonight. I mean, they, they can see poverty and the girls are going to make a move down the road, but they don't think it's going to happen just quite yet. And with that, uh, we go right into Tribal Council. Although I do have James giving a little weird speech here where, you know, maybe Ozzy just wanted a damn donut. So there, and he had another James quote. So let's go to tribal council where uh, poverty inspires Siri to blindside Ozzy. Oh my God. This is, I mean, I, I feel like nowadays in modern survivor, we'll talk about how this sort of inspires the big era of blindsides where some people won't be satisfied unless there's a big surprise every episode. But the, Amount of surprise both from half the players in this game and from the entire internet fandom at the time was so fervent. I know I expressed my love for this episode beforehand, but there were a lot of people that were so, so high on this episode when it first aired. Just because, I mean, we were talking about how Ozzy has kind of been personified as a bit of a douche. And I'm sure we'll talk about as to whether he was always a douche, whether this douchiness was thrust upon him in this season, uh, whether the fandom went to his head or so on. But he was definitely one of, I think, even though Parvati might be painted as a villain, we'll talk about Natalie next episode. Ozzy was definitely one of the biggest villains and one of the biggest threats coming into this episode. So just to think about the beginning of this episode, that the biggest player left in the game, someone who has an idol and is the biggest physical threat left in the game, is going to leave by the end, blindsided by everyone else left in, or by, blindsided by this random amalgam of allies would be insane, but it was one of the most surprising blindsides the show had seen up to that point, and I think it really, you know, the Eliza moment was fun, but I think this really, from a gameplay perspective, sort of invigorated things to say, okay, this isn't going to be the couple's alliance just takes out all the fa- the fans and makes their way to the end. Sari was not going to play like that. Yeah, this is just a solid episode, and it's, again, I'm not the biggest fan of the season, but this is a great episode, and that is a very historic ending, and I loved it. Yeah, and, and it, it's a blindside. I mean, this is this is a proper use of the term of blindside, <laughs> and I think that, that a lot of the 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 words when we say blindside like i said you have to blindside people like you know when people talk about ah oh, blindside i'm i'm going to talk about this word a little bit more as we get later in here because i feel like it's not used correctly but it is used correctly here but i think what makes this uh, unique and we're going to we've seen it before and we've, we're going to see it again in survivor but what makes this one is a unique sort of blindside is just what you're talking about mike in the sense that Suri and parvati want to get rid of ozzy and they do so, but one of their main alliance people is Amanda, and they don't tell her. Like, they don't tell absolutely everyone what they're doing. So not only is it a blindside to Ozzy, which is the only person it's important to be, like, a blindside meaning that the person who gets voted out didn't see it coming. But, like, uh, you know, Amanda didn't see it coming. James didn't see it coming because they weren't in on the plan. So, like, this is one of these things where this is actually really advanced level gameplay where I, I think you're right, Mike, in the sense that, you know, Parvati brought a bunch of people together. But Sari was basically like, well, we can't tell everyone or the plan will fail. Yep. Uh, and all through it all, Jason Siska's probably thinking, you know, I won so many friends by stepping down and giving them food that they spared me. What a great move on my part. 
Well, he kind of does, doesn't he? It's, it's, a weird, it's a weird turn where James and Ozzy are going to verbally slam Jason throughout this entire tribal council. You know, James brings up the donut again uh, about saying, like, just because you got everyone's nerves doesn't mean a donut's going to make it any better. And so it's, it's a fun reversal. I mean, James is going to – this won't be the last time that he brings up, I thought I was the dumbest survivor ever. Uh, it's going to turn out that he's going to hold on to that title for maybe a little bit longer, depending on what you think uh, of Ozzy's gameplay here. But then to have that reverse course, just a lot of whiplash going on in these last, like, 20 minutes of the episodes that makes it really exciting. And of course, this is Eliza's greatest hits here, where Eliza's mugging like a goon over on the, and the jury bench, and the camera keeps cutting to her. And this, to this day, yeah, you still see people. Oh, I'm going to be the next Eliza. I'm going to be the next juror that's like that. So it's it's again, I'm not the biggest fan of that, but it, people seem to love that. It's a big moment in this episode with Eliza's jury reactions. I think yes, Eli- Eliza was just shocked <laughs> that I think somebody actually listened to her. <laughs> yes. I'm just sitting over here counting down the uh, episodes. How many episodes left until uh, someone Two until leaves? Alexis. Alexis will be gone in two. Okay, let's keep rolling here. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> okay, so Ozzy, the amazing blind side, gets voted out. Ozzy turns around. He, he glares at everyone. He's so pissed. And, uh, yeah, it's a big moment. And so <clears throat> we get back to camp at the start of episode 11, which is also known as the Natalie Becomes Super Evil episode. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so uh, <clears throat> we get back, and now Parvati has to do all sorts of damage control. She's like, oh, my God, we voted out. We voted out uh, Ozzy. And, again, like we've been saying, she gets total credit for this in the previously on Survivor, which is really annoying if you actually watched the episode before this. <clears throat> so, yeah, so Parvati has to do all this damage control because Amanda is super pissed. Like, she had no idea Ozzy was going to be voted out. All her friends did it. They didn't tell her. Mario, how how mad was she? (laughs) She was livid. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Yeah, so we get livid Manda now again, just being pissed that everyone uh, voted out Ozzy. James says, well, that was a great move. James appreciates it. But yeah, Amanda will not talk to Surya and Parvati right now. And Amanda now vows revenge. Wow. She's, where we get- she's angry for the second time in six days. In Montana, that would send you to anger management. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They lock you up for that. But I just hope things aren't that like awkward with like Parvati and James and everyone. I just hope it's not awkward. Oh, it'll be awkward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's yeah, going to okay. be awkward. <laughs> where is that? That's later in here, isn't it? <laughs> no, that's in that op- this opening thing, isn't it? That's, uh, I don't have it in my notes. I have it somewhere. Uh, I think that's in the same thing. This is oh, the yeah, whole yeah. Uh, yeah, Parvati's yeah, right. doing damage control. Yeah, yeah Parvati's talking to James. I, I just don't want it to be awkward. And he's like, oh, it's going to be awkward. <laughs> and then he starts uh, talking about eating some fruit, but I can't remember exactly <laughs> what he was talking about. Oh, well, you're jumping ahead. You're missing some good stuff here. You got to stop, oh, eating, that, stop, all... stop <laughs> eating that guava, girl. This is all pre-auction here. This is all the I know, but you're... But Amanda's vowing revenge. Bring sorry, it on. Sorry, let's go back to livid Amanda. Yeah. How dare you skip over some great Amanda scenes, Paul? I'm taking away your Montana card. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. No. How's that go? <laughs> I'm just going to sing it every time you threaten me. You take you away Paul's take Montana away card. There's not very many more of those left. There's only like 30 or so left after that. <laughs> yeah, they only printed so many. <laughs> Okay, so, yeah, but the other thing that's important here is that James has a cut on his finger. They just mentioned this. Oh, by the way, uh, Parvati encouraged this bacteria to go into James's cut. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's really important to remember that back back at this time, like, um, you know, whether you were following the preseason stuff 
that much or or I mean back then it was not as huge as it is now but like it was pretty well known that Jeff Probst says I think he I don't know if he says that three people leave the game by not being voted off or if he says two people are medically evacuated for some people knew that there was going to be another medically evacuated person so yeah. when they throw in the scene it just was like uh not good for James here and the only other red herring we get is uh next episode with them <laughs> someone who <laughs> falls down and might hurt herself but we'll get there um but as far as James no spoilers here, this is just really thrown in here. This like, oh, you know, he has this little cut in his finger. And we get an interview from Sari where she's clearly wearing HB shirt from later on. So they, they kind of go back to cut this in here to to give the narrative here that James has an injury that, and if he doesn't take care of it, it could be bad. Yeah, it's probably linked with the confessional she does next episode, which is a great Sari confessional of like, I'm a medical professional. I know I should be, you know, feeling sorry for these people. But at the same time, these are two people that if they got eliminated, would get me closer to a million dollars. So I really can't complain. Yeah, I'm also going to give yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going to give James some credit here as well, in the sense that, you know, after this this blow up, you know, after the Aussie blindside and, and Parvati doing damage control, where he's just like, it's going to be awkward. Like, I think James at this point's like, I can't win. Yeah, he he is pretty much given up at this point. He's like, I'm he screwed. Is. And Parvati even tells him, she's like, yeah, you were right. It's all girls now. And he's like, I knew it. I knew it. We're doomed. We all going to die. You just want you. Yeah. Why couldn't you just frolic in heaven? And and, and and I didn't really want to like necessarily interrupt that whole like, ah, James has got a cut on his finger. But it's like, this is now the James narrative because it's like the narrative before was James was part of this alliance uh this favorites alliance that was going to go to the end it's like we can see that 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 they were starting to favor natalie and alexis in this alliance and it was going to be this all girls sort of alliance but it's like that gets solidified and so now everything with james like it's like at this point james the survivor player is done now it's just james the person with a cut on his hand yeah one thing i wrote in my notes here that i think is kind of interesting is that uh it's funny that everyone remembers, you know, Micronesia as being the Black Widow season. The women all band together and and team up and take out the guys. But we're in episode eleven, and that's not even the case yet. I mean, that's just starting now in the narrative. But at this point in the episode, Amanda is totally anti-poverty and Sari. She's not going to team up with them at all. So it's like a lot of people remember that the thing that was going on all season, they were on a team. But like they they did not take a linear path to the end altogether. Like right here, there's a split in those girls, and Amanda is furious. Some would say livid. No, it's it's going to be a weird thing. I think it's almost coincidental because I believe that nearly everyone votes against Jason here at this vote. And I think it's only after James's evacuation when they're like, hey, there are five girls and there's one man. You know, we should we all liked working together through a variety of votes. Let's all work together through the rest of this game. So, yeah, I don't think it's as deliberate as the narrative paints it to be, especially in like the this season on Survivor, they really say like, and this devious alliance of women took out the men one by one. I think this case is definitely going to be everyone, men and women, joining together to get out Jason. Yeah. And this is definitely like I was talking about earlier, where it really shows up in the narrative, like Amanda is the wounded hero against these evil women that are plotting behind her back, and Amanda's going to vow revenge. It really feels like this is Amanda's storyline from here on out. It should, like, she should be the winner. That's the one thing that really jumped out at me when I was watching here. Because the the problem is, is that it's hard to paint Parvati as this protagonist, right? Like, you've mentioned it, Mara. She's She's getting a bad edit, because she's just, she's literally just, 
you know, pooping on everyone. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's how it's going. And so you can't make Parvati the total hero, right? You can make Sari the hero very, very easily. And, you know, it's not hard to make Sari the hero, but I think that if you pump Sari up so much just to have her go out right near the end, I mean, I, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. So, you know, it, I think they tried to, you know, shield themselves as much as they could from that. Um, Natalie is, again, not a hero. And so you're basically left with Amanda or Eric, right? And, I mean, Eric is going to do the dumbest thing ever coming <laughs> up. So it's, again, even though Eric is fun and whimsical and full of life and, you know, this 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 young, you know, fresh energy in the game, he's a hard person to pin your season on. So you're sort of left with Amanda. Like, like yeah. by default, she sort of becomes, like, maybe the person that we're going to root for, which you know, is not so hard narrative-wise seeing how the season ends. It's kind of like, oh, Amanda, oh, oh, oh. (laughs) He just took the words right out of my mouth. (laughs) But yeah, this is by far, out of all the seasons we've covered on Historians, this would have been one of the toughest storylines to kind of craft into a narrative. It's a very tricky one I'm watching, as I'm watching, I'm noticing that. Yeah, and on a rewatch, I'm starting to appreciate more of the threads. I just remember at the time being very dissatisfied with sort of how it ended, just because I think that was sort of the thing in, in a sense of like, what what's going on here? What is the story that's being told? And I think the story was, well, it's, you know, it's complicated. So <laughs> strap in. Yeah, I mean, the, the story is basically that everyone who's somewhat decent at Survivor just kind of fucks up along the way and then Parvati mm-hmm. is left standing. That's kind of the storyline. I mean, that's... That's if you look at it that yeah, way. Yeah, it's basically Hamlet, where everyone through their own volition or someone else's dies, and then Fortinbras comes in and just conquers everyone. Yeah, exactly. Fortinbras is so smug at the end of that one. <laughs> Fortinbras <laughs> organized this. Apple hu- organized this huge blindside against Hamlet and Claudius. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, he really is so smug when he comes at the end. He's just like, "Oh, they're all dead. I'm here. I'm cool. Uh, let's." Let's celebrate them. You're like, oh, you guy. Just get out of here. Um, oh, bitch. But, <laughs> it's, it, you're so right, though. And, and I think that that's the problem is that it's it's tough to, you know, you, you could, again, you could pin the season on Sari, but I think that you just make everybody super PO'd when she doesn't win. So it, it sort of gets tough. And, and I think that you bring up a really interesting point, Mario, is that they make this narrative of the Black Widow Brigade and, and, Boy, they're really going to, you know, I hope you guys are really paying attention to these animal interstitials that they have because it's really, really subtle that they try to paint them out as, as spiders and black widows. You know, it, it's subtle, but 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 don't blink, you know, because because you got to catch it all. But like, you're right. They they all sort of get Ozzy out, you know, like Jason helps and, and, and stuff like that. But they they vote against Ozzy and it's not a woman thing. It's just a hey, this this impromptu alliance that gets rid of Ozzy. Everyone's going to vote Jason out. And then James leaves the game. And so basically the Black Widow Brigade basically got Eric out. Yeah. There's five of us. Let's team up against the one person. We're geniuses. <laughs> it's like, it seems pretty obvious. That being said, though, it is a legitimate women's alliance, which I think mm-hmm. people like try to pin women's alliances in other seasons. But this is a legit women's alliance. Even though anyway, Alexis is involved. Right. There is that. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We are. Uh, we're to we, the we apple chewing about- now. We, 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 oh God. Yeah, Paul was, Paul was just chomping at the bit to get here. But yeah, now we're to the speech where James and Parvati are talking about, you know, how she's like, well, yeah, it's all girls, though. You guys are done. See, I just vote for me at the end. And James is like, you had to chew the apple. He's like, you a definite apple chewer. I knew it the first time I met you. 
So this is where we get the the dichotomy between apple chewer and non apple chewer, much like the smasher and non smasher from uh, from the, the, que- the question is, what is Ruth Marie? Because I think she's got a little bit of like a dirty look in her eyes. She could definitely be an apple chewer. She looks healthy. She probably likes her fruits, fresh fruits. So I would think she would be an apple chewer if you're looking at it literally. <laughs> you know, I chewed an apple once about in this spot, five hundred thousand miles up in space. Yeah. <laughs> He was definitely an apple chewer. <laughs> now, Sari, by looking at her, would not be an apple chewer. I don't understand. I mean, <laughs> James is, has now said, like, some variation of biting the apple or chewing the apple. This, you know, two seasons in a row, right? It's the whole, don't take the apple. And it's like, I, I get the, the, the metaphor and, and the illusion that he's drawing on. But it just seems like, does he use this in everyday life? Like, like you know... If he's with his friends and they're like, where do we go? Do we go to McDonald's or do we go to Taco Bell for lunch? And he's like, let's go to McDonald's. And then most of his friends are like, no, I think Taco Bell sounds better. And he's like, don't don't bite the apple. Don't yeah. bite that apple. It's like, you know, there's a better way to phrase that, James. Why in the Nickelodeon are we going to Taco Bell? <laughs> right? I like, to imagine, I like to imagine that James's friends have uh, as much of a weird vocabulary as he does. I would love to see. Yeah, well, isn't it her? His friends are like Boo and Russell Hans, right? Aren't they? Or, that no, they're posse? they're all skeletons because that's all he hangs out with on his job. <laughs> that's true. I forgot. <laughs> so his friends are very quiet. What do you want, Mister Bones? Better not be apple pie. <laughs> oh God, we got we need to have James on here as an interview. James would be great. All right, so uh, yeah, Paul, I'm sorry I stepped over your apple monologue. Will you have anything more to say about the apple chewing? Nope, is Alexis gone yet? <laughs> no. Although I will point out, there's a great little editing joke that I never caught until I was watching this episode, where right after James says that Parvati is an apple chewer, he goes, you an apple chewer. I knew you the first time I met you. There's a, a, a scene where uh, Amanda and, and Parvati are talking, and Parvati is literally chewing on something the entire conversation, so it's a fun little editing joke. I think it's coconut. I don't believe it's an apple, but just watch the transition from him calling her an apple chewer to the next shot of her chewing as she's talking to Amanda. Yeah, so this is where Amanda's all worried about poverty. Poverty is going to take us over. This sucks. And yeah, so this is uh, this is where we are in this episode as we go into the reward challenge, which is the famous Survivor Auction. And we get a special reward in this auction, which is the edit of Natalie Bolton as well. It sort of comes as an extra prize here. She in comes to, to life. Yeah. yeah, that was definitely the biggest reward or advantage won in an auction ever. Where, like, the editors were like, it's episode 11 of this season. Let's introduce a character. <laughs> yeah. How many confessionals? I know Paul might know this. How many confessionals has she given in the season up until episode 11? I mean, it's got to be, like, two or three really short ones. I mean, hardly anything. I remember one time she's talking about... Um, about like early on at the at the fans camp about putting her head down and working, not getting too involved, and then when else she has some other little line somewhere. But I mean, she really is non-existent. And in this episode, she <laughs> yeah. really comes. I know Mario always described this at some point. I don't know where you wrote about it. It was the funny one fifteen or somewhere else. That's always stuck with me every time this episode starts. We get to the auction here. It's like you. I think you said that it's like her mom all of a sudden became the editor and just like put her in everything. <laughs> oh, so Ro- Rocky, this, Rocky's in the editing Rocky. booth. Yes, every yeah, time Rocky. This, I, I literally picture Rocky editing this episode every time this starts. <laughs> thanks to you, Mario. This, this edit's over, bro. <laughs> yeah, let's see what Natalie has to say here. 
Yeah, yeah. This I, I do remember writing that now. Yeah, this is all of a sudden Natalie becomes the primary character in this season. Okay, so we'll get to the auction. We'll kind of skim through this because we're running late on time here. That so they give five hundred dollars. They all get to bid on food, and you know the first thing is that uh, Sari pays one hundred and twenty bucks for a hot dog plate, which seems like something Sari would eat. And then uh, there's a great scene where she tries to shortchange probe. She only comes up with a hundred bucks. It's it's one of these little funny moments. It's, I probably should have written about it at some point. Yeah, she's like, Jeff's like, let's see that money. He's like, this is only a hundred, and she's like, okay, and pulls out the last twenty. It's just a, a funny little moment. <clears throat> and then uh, Eric pays eighty bucks for nachos. Then we have Natalie gets punked. She she buys the bat soup, and she doesn't want she wants nothing to do with it. But James, of course, will come up and he'll eat the bat because James, as we learned, is a big bat fan. And then Amanda gets some PB and J, and this is where Natalie. Uh, wins the next item, which is a bottle. She opens it up. It's got a message. It says, send one person to Exile Island, take all their money, do it right now. And we saw, and, this, uh, we saw this before. Uh, if we remember Becky, Stone Cold Becky, speaking of under, other underedited characters, sent Candace to Exile Island, but she cuts to the peanut galley, and we see Jason literally begging her, almost on his <laughs> knees, to not see. He's like, I've, I've been twice. Come on, baby. Be cool. Don't do this. Uh, and, but she, before she does anything, she asks Jeff, she clarifies, like, just so we know, is the idol rehidden? And he says, yep. Be, uh, since Ozzy didn't use it, it's now buried again on Exile Island. So now Natalie sends Jason, but she tries to spin it in a positive light, sort of, by, and also insulting him at the same time by saying, look, you got a chance to find the idol again, so why are you tripping? Yes. <laughs> Love that tripping line. So yeah. I don't know why he's tripping. I got to point out, before Jay mentions it, that this is maybe my all-time favorite Jeff Probst dick moment right here. Go you for know it. what I'm talking about? It? Yeah. You know what <laughs> I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, so Natalie's like, He's going out to Exile Island. He can find an idol. And Probe's just deadpans. Maybe this time you'll get a real one. <laughs> Such, oh my god, I can't imagine any host could pull off a line better than that. Just the timing and per- it's just perfect. <laughs> so yeah, so Siska gets whisked away back to Doofus Island so he can go look for his <laughs> new idol. And Doofus Nat- Island. Yeah, Natalie has inherited all his money and she bids on the next item, which is this gigantic chocolate cake. And this is one of those scenes that everyone seems to remember. It's a fun scene. I've written about it before. Where, uh, yeah. So Natalie gets this big cake, and Jeff says, okay, you can share with three people. 60 seconds, and you guys eat as much as you want. Go. Well, I like how she picks – when you're going to pick three people, it's like she clearly is like, you know, putting Amanda in her place, which just really yeah. kind of you know gives, gives Amanda all the justice in the world to take out her and Alexis because he goes, you get three people. She goes, three party Alexis. Like doesn't even act like, oh, I'm sorry, Amanda, or you know, at all. She just goes, three party Alexis. She's more concerned about the girls hogging her cake. She's a little aggro right oh, now. My, I love that she extends an invitation to them. They take maybe one step. She goes, hold on. I haven't eaten in days. I'm a little aggro right now. Like, again, we can't, we cannot talk enough about the fact that this girl came out of fucking nowhere to become one of the biggest villains in Survivor history over the course of 10 minutes. Yeah. It's funny. When I worked on a project a couple of years ago called the, what was it, the 100 Greatest Survivor Characters. And I mean, there was a huge, we, it was like a group of people gathered together to make this list. And there was this huge undercurrent of people. We have to include Natalie Bolton. Natalie has to be in there. She was amazing. I'm like, she's in fucking one episode. She's not one of the top 100 characters of all time, but people love her for this episode. Yeah, Rocky loved the aggro line. She thought that was hilarious. <laughs> well, I mean, Rocky from, oh, Fiji, Rocky from Fiji did go aggro a lot, so it makes sense that they'd be simpatico. <laughs> 
All right, yeah. So uh, <laughs> they all come up. They uh, they storm the cake. They just start munching it. And Eric, of course, watching you know wistfully. <laughs> you, I'm sure I'm sure Mike would like to do the imitation here. Um, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you twenty dollars to lick your fingers in Michigan. That's first base. <laughs> in Pinkney, maybe. Um, <laughs> Yeah, middle so, of nowhere. I'll give you $60 yeah. to eat it off your sweet, succulent boobs. Please. <laughs> please. Please, lunch lady, please. Please. Say you're going to serve me cream corn while you do it. I can't sleep at night. The nightmares, they're haunting me. $80 for a pearl necklace. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. All right. So so anyway, yeah, we uh, Eric comes down and starts licking all the fi- all the chocolate off their fingers. And James... Who is the master of being disgusted by things? Just watching this, and oh, the, 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 I forgot when Eric says that he'll uh, that he wants to lick off the fingers. You just hear James off to the side going, "Ew!" <laughs> he, goes, that, he goes, "That's <laughs> too much bat soup, boy." That's yeah, too, that's, that's a, sad. That's too much chocolate. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So more of James' greatest hits here. Like he really has problems. Poor boy or poor thing. <laughs> Something's wrong with that boy. Oh my god! I feel like whenever we talk about the legacy of James. I, everyone talks about him in China and him in Heroes vs. Villains as sort of like the spectrum. I feel like everyone glosses over James in Micronesia. And granted, he's not as much of a big fan-favorite character as he is in China, though he is going to win the fan-favorite award here as well, spoiler alert. But there are just so many low-key moments, like we just talked about in the past couple episodes, where James is just, he's hilarious. This proves yeah. why he is still one of the highlight characters from this middle era of seasons. Yeah, I went with James as a narrator on every season, to be honest. He's so funny. And he just has no patience for anything. Everything is creepy and, and gross to him. He's like, ew, who's doing that? All right, so yeah, so uh, they finish up the auction, and uh, and uh, this is where uh, you know, we go back to camp, and what is it? Sri says, Sri tells everyone, you know, you shouldn't be worried about Jason with a hidden immunity idol unless he's really good at clues and puzzles, which is a fun thing to say about Jason. And then uh, this is where we get Natalie's first super nasty confessional. <laughs> she, she, she calls him. She's like, uh, send that little bitch to exile. Guarantee, hands down, bitch will find it. That bitch being Jason. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny. People love that confessional. I mean, that, that is always quoted as, oh, Natalie's so great. And I always think, you know, what if a guy had said that about a girl? Like, do you think the internet would be loving it as much? Like Dan Foley, oh, I sent that bitch Shereen to X. Like, I don't think it would have gone over as well the other way around. So it's always funny that, you know, the kind of the hypocrisy of the fan base on this issue. I want to know one thing. Confessionals are easy enough to explain. Maybe Natalie was giving confessionals like that the whole time, but for some reason, I don't know why they didn't use them, because it seems like those are confessionals that people like and want to see. But more than anything else, it, it's it's like you guys were talking about in the auction. Like, not only did she become this major character and villain within 10 minutes, but just even that that stance where, like, you know, she stops the girls. Like, she she tells the girls they're going to go eat the cake. And then she's like, wait, 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 hold on. Before you start, I need to get my thing because I'm going aggro and I haven't eaten the days. And it's sitting there like it's a really showy move. Yeah. You know, to do all of that because for all that and my question is is like what changed in her or was she always like that and she was invisible i'm tending to think maybe not and so like what what prompted this yeah my guess is that she was always like that she was always alpha alpha leader gonna bitch you like that and then they just didn't want to show it because it takes away from 
you know, Parvati, Suri, and Amanda running the game. And I think it was a totally a fans versus favorites thing. We cannot show a favorite being like an alpha decision maker, leader of the pack. It's just, that's not their agenda. They want to make the favorites the big star of the show. And I think they had to hide her because otherwise you'd remember her as the big star of the season. And they could not have that. I don't know. Part of me also believes that Paul mentioned her first confessional back in the old IRI when she talks about, like, I'm just going to keep my head down and work. And that's pretty much what she does throughout the entire pre-merge, except for making a, a small alliance or friendship with Parvati that's going to blossom into something much more in a variety of ways later on in the season. But there might also be something to it where, you know... Eliza was eliminated, but you might think that like she was veritably a dead woman walking, where I think everyone was thinking, okay, this favorite couple's alliance plus Sari is just going to eliminate all the fans, and they'll be the final five. Maybe getting rid of Ozzy and actually putting her in somewhat of a power position made her go, for lack of a better term, a little aggro, where she thought like, okay, I actually was able to, I have some weight to swing around now, ironically, because she weighs like 100 pounds soaking wet. Let me, you know, really show my the the depth of personality that I can display. So it might be editing, but I think there might be something psychologically there that got unlocked maybe once Ozzy left. Uh, Were there any interesting Ponderosa clips or interviews with her after the show where she talks about this? I'm sure Paul remembers her Ponderosa clip. Um, No, not not really that I can recall, actually. (laughs) So she just kind of faded back into the wood where her her mom was not editing the Ponderosa clips? (laughs) No, I mean, it's janky enough that you would have thought maybe... No, Rocky actually did a pretty damn good job for uh, this episode. She's pretty yeah. good at editing. Way better <laughs> than the Ponderosa editor. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that Rocky won an Emmy for this episode. It was very nice. <laughs> so it's okay that she didn't get to... Oh, no, she did get to go to Jellyfish Lake. So she really, she might have had the best season ever, besides Parvati. Yeah, let's take the woman who can't walk and make her go down a billion stairs. That's what we're going to do with Rocky. Oh, we'll get to that in a second. Okay, so yeah, so let's go back to Cisco over here at Doofus Island, and he's got some great quotes. He's like, you know, hopefully Natalie sent me out here so we can work together. It's in her best interest to take me along. It's like, yeah, that's exactly. Although, I will point out, like Jay said earlier, what is everyone's agenda here at the end of the game? It was totally in Natalie's best interest to take Jason along. He's right. And yep. And maybe it was sort of a... I mean, they'll d- turn against Jason, you know, at the end of this episode. But theoretically, if Natalie did want to join up with Jason, it would be good to have someone with the idol on your side. Which, you know, they definitely Natalie talked about it in that confessional I just mentioned that if you send someone who, granted, it was a fake idol, but it was pretty much hidden in the same spot that Ozzy found it. If he's veritably found the idol previously, he's probably going to again. And guess what happens? Yes. Yeah. Jason finds the idol. Great success. And he does say this was a strategic move on Natalie's part. He appreciates the move. I mean, but again, I mean, as much as I make fun of him, he's right. <laughs> it should have been a strategic move on her part. Well, I wasn't mean, actually Parvati who sent him there. Should yeah, Parvati. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it's interesting. You bring up the point because when they say you have to send someone to Exile Island uh, and you take all their money, you know, the, the three people that Natalie is less – uh, likely with the the non cake people, it's 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 Jason, it's James, and it's Amanda, and she probably knows that Amanda's in with the girls and stuff like that. So Amanda's probably not an option to send to exile. And so really, the answer is Jason or it's James. She chooses Jason because I think she's like, well, I've got more of a connection with Jason. I can use him and try to spin it, and she does. And it's funny because you know Jason sort of lucks into that in a weird way, in the sense that he got lucked into not getting voted out last time because Ozzy was dangling there and and. And they got a chance to blindside Ozzy, and they did. And now, you know, Natalie 
because Natalie gets the clue and and or gets the note that says send someone to exile him. So she sends she sends Jason, and so he kind of gives this confessional where he's just like, hey, you know, since stepping off that one challenge, you know, things have have worked out well for me. And it's like on the one hand, ha ha, lol, Jason. But on the other hand, well, he's kind of right. Like he's <laughs> things have gone his way. Yeah. <laughs> Things are going to start happening to me now. Everything's coming up, Jason. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So all the girls are sitting around saying, okay, well, well how are we going to deal with Jason if he finds an idol? And they concoct a little plan where, well, Natalie's close with him. Natalie will disarm him. He trusts her. And so this is the plan. And this is exactly what happened to Ozzy last episode. It's exactly what's going to happen to Eric next episode. But yeah, the Jason one is basically part two of Ozzy where it's like, could we do this again? Could we actually find a guy, take the guy with the idol who's the a great challenge threat and somehow talk him into not playing the idol? And this is exactly what's going to happen. And of course, Natalie's still being all evil, giving these confessionals about how she's going to use Jason and how he's, how he's an idiot and stuff. So we're going to get to that. And with that, we go into the immunity challenge, which they, they do point out in the episode happens to be on Eric's birthday. Huzzah! <laughs> what if they got him like a clown on a pony? That'd be cool. So anyway, yeah, this is an immunity challenge made up of past ones. I'm going to kind of skim through this so we can get to the end. There's some interesting stuff here where they have to go through like four stages, like rocks and puzzle pieces and wheels, blah, blah, blah. And it's uh, right before the challenge, Natalie pulls Siska aside and she says, whatever happens, don't let James win. James is going home tonight. This is where they set up Siska not to play as idol. And Siska's like, thanks, babe. I knew it. I knew that was your plan. <laughs> You're a crafty babe. <laughs> yeah. You learned a lot from me. <laughs> you can ride yeah, sidecar so, on my motorbike any day. <laughs> We're in his plane. He's an auto. He's a yeah, co-pilot now. You can be my co-pilot now. <laughs> yeah, so we just, I'm skimming through this challenge. It basically comes down to the end. It's uh, Eric versus James in the finale, and they have to cross this uh, rope on these wooden boards, and uh, Eric goes way ahead, and James make this big leap at the end. It's actually pretty close, and it's an exciting challenge, but Eric... Wins immunity on his birthday and looks like everything's going to work out. Eric is happy. He's not getting voted out tonight. James is not He's in danger. He's not immune. So Jason won't suspect that the vote's going to come towards him. And everything's really set up for the Cisco blind side now. Which, like, okay, I get it. You know, it's 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 always good. And I think that you, you can't ever take anything necessarily for granted on Survivor. You really can't. So the fact that they're able to convince Jason you know, not to play his idol and, and, and blindside him in that thing. I mean, you know, huzzah, props to you. But on the other hand, when they're like, Natalie will disarm Jason, we can maybe, you know, fool Jason into not playing its idol. It's almost like, I have this barrel and it's got some fish in it. Do you think we can shoot him? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, they really go over the top to the point that I actually feel kind of bad for Jason in this episode. They're just all talking about how dumb he is, how they're just fooling him. And this is where we get the first Black Widow Brigade thing where I think Alexis is the one who first released starts talking about it. It's Alexis and Parvati where they're stirring the pot and doing the, yeah, the you, witch thing. If you missed it this episode, you're not going to see it again. So you might have to rewind <laughs> yeah. to go back. You're blinking, blink and you'll miss it. <laughs> blink and you'll miss it. Oh, boy. But, yes. I mean, if they're the ones that build the foundation, uh, Natalie is going to decorate the rest of the Black Widow Brigade building here with her rather graphic confessional about what she wants to do with Jason. Yeah, who would like to quote this one? I actually didn't write it down. I was just kind of bored by Natalie at the end. I'm like, okay, yeah, you get it. He's horrible. You're going to get him. She talks about what? She's going to take out his jugular and floss with it? That's one. What else is she going to do to him? <laughs> She's well. She's pretty, uh, you know, cold stone bitch. What she likes that about herself. Mm-hmm. She licks her fingers. 
Mm-hmm. There's no cage. Well, that's right, uh, like, pluck, pluck his wings off like he's a butterfly. Yeah, like floss that. her teeth with the jugular, pick them off like flies, and then she pretends to eat the flies. I have a question mark here. Is that what she's doing? Mm-hmm. And uh, have she wants to have Jason's brain with a uh, fava and a nice Chianti. That's right. That's right. And um, let's see. Uh, more, more disturbing. Chew him like a beetle net. Chew him like a like a beetle net. More disturbing is the scene. Is it's kind of like they they put in this little scene of the girls talking on the beach and stuff, and Alexis is like, "I'm so not the cool girl when it comes to guys. Like I'm just like so like she reminds me of like what's that skit from SNL about the um whatever the girl in the male driven comedy who's just like oh I'm just like so like like not cool at all guys but blah 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 and then after that it cuts to Alex or to Natalie and how she says about how like she gets what she wants she does this like point to a guy and like tell him to come here and stuff like scary shit I'm pretty sure Natalie is a succubus I'm pretty sure she's the only (laughs) succubus player to play Survivor so far (laughs) well she even says she's like this is me. I'm really like this. I'm like, she's just a horrible person. <laughs> like, Maybe that's it. Yeah, this is, again, the Rocky's editing of Natalie. Natalie emerges here. It's like Frampton comes alive for Natalie. Do you think Rocky was going to edit Natalie's final tribal council question? We'll get to it, but... Uh... Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get to Natalie it. Rocky's, later. Rocky's a freak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to know that's about... Right. I, want, I want people to know how my daughter fucks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Rocky, we're calling you out tonight. <laughs> we are to your game. <laughs> we're taking away your cable ace award, Rocky. It's over, bro. But All on right. the other hand, I, I have to play the devil's advocate. If 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 it's true and Rocky took over the editing for this episode, like if Natalie was giving confessionals like this for ten episodes previous, and they're just like, wow, this woman is like really graphically telling how she's gonna you know kill people and and eat their remains and blah 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 and you know calling people a bitch every three seconds and and calling herself a bitch every three seconds and all these sorts of things should we put that in the episode nah we don't need it and then like rocky comes in and it's like what are you doing this is gold <laughs> like start hitting him with her handbag no you brutes for some reason, I imagine, like, Mrs. Featherbottom, like a Mrs. Doubtfire type. It's, actually, we'll see Rocky next episode. She sort of resembles that. Just a banger in the mouth. <laughs> That's how she yeah. likes it, and she bites it off. Which just makes me, which makes me really skeptical, because like you said, you know, maybe she was doing this the whole time, and they're trying to purposely hide it, but, like, I, like, have a really hard time of everyone, like, looking at Natalie, like, eating people's guts on, on in, in a confessional and going... Yeah, I guess we just can't use it this episode. <laughs> We're a survivor. We're not trashy. We don't have confessions like that on our show. I need more scenes of, of Ozzy making out with people on the beach. We need more of that. <laughs> yes. Okay, yeah. So, again, again, it's getting super gleeful and super trashy in this episode. But this is about the trashy. No, I take that back. The, the trashiest the season get will get it was the Eric episode next one. But yeah, it's just horrible. They're just piling on. And right before Tribal Council, <laughs> James has a great quote where he's like, "There's no way that dummy's not going to play his idol." <laughs> Thank you, James. So, yeah, James, James the is, fall of Jason. James is sort of be- James is sort of becoming the James Miller, if you will, of the Micronesia offseason. Like every time we go to a Tribal Council, he's like, "This thing is definitely not going to happen," and it almost always happens. Yeah. yeah, but 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 also in a way like this is this is the the failure of James in a lot of way. Not that James and J- I mean James and Jason they they only have each other at this point because they're like the only people not in the sort of alliance. Well, I guess Eric too, but there's that. But like 
you know, James is just like, there's no way he's not going to play his idol. Like, James, maybe you should go to, to Jason and say, hey, play your idol tonight. <laughs> but I think he just doesn't. He's like, I just assume he's going to play it. It's like, oh, God. Yeah. Communicate, please. James just kind of watches this like it's a TV show. Yeah. <laughs> there's it, no way that Jason's not going to put his finger in that light socket. <laughs> yeah. It, that's sort of how he plays it. Like, he's, you know, even like in Survivor China, he gets voted out. He's just sitting there going like, this is good. There's no reason I need to actually like get up or do anything. Like this all, this is all just going to play out in in the way that it logically will. And it's like, no, it won't. You need to actually like put in work and talk to people and do things. You know, I'm not so good at politicking. Really not. Yeah, that's what he said. That's a direct quote, so I'm not yeah. making fun of him there. Okay, so yeah, we go to tribal council, and this is where you know you get an angry Ozzy over in Jer. He's not. He's not in his full poncho yet, right? The poncho comes later. No, the poncho no, would cover it's up. Just like it, a hoodie. It would cover up the bird that he was flipping right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. So and this is where you know tribal council. <clears throat> I think I believe James mentions that Parvati is the one who blindsided Ozzy, which is complete bullshit. But and then Ozzy, of course, glares at Parvati. And again, this is this is the narrative now the show's going with. Oh yeah, Parvati. Well, did but that. It, but that's fantastic for Suri. Like again, like Suri sort of orchestrates this whole thing but but you know even after the blindside it was poverty that had to do damage control at the beginning of the episode and then you know james like poverty blindsided it's like Ceres clean on the whole thing like she orchestrates it and poverty took all the heat yeah no that's absolutely true that's uh something about the magic of Ceres as a player it's kind of like sandra in a way they just don't take the heat for some of the stuff they do all right so we get to tribal council you know they all just blah 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 and then jeff says anybody want to play their idol and you know, they're all waiting for Jason to play it, even though all the votes are coming his way. And Jason's like, nah, babe, I'm good. I'm just going to sit here. And James does the most incredible double take as he looks over at James like, what the fuck? I actually love that call you just made a little while ago about how James acts like he's just watching the show instead of actively participating in it. Because he interacts, he says comments that like we would say at the TV screen at any point in time. James just feels like he's an audience member that got to win a great opportunity to be up and close with the people on Survivor. Yeah. No, right, it's absolutely cause, true. Because even at this moment, like I know that it does, it ha- it doesn't happen too much in Survivor. I get that, but like if, if anyone has a hidden meter and likes to play it, now's the chance to do so. James would be like, Jason, <laughs> like nothing's blocking you from saying something there, right? So you know, James could do the double take and be like, Jason, dude, you should probably play it. Yes, but in all fairness, can you even picture in your head a conversation between James and Jason Siska? How that would go? I mean. I'm sure. I'm sure that you know. I'm sure that Mario could do a a a conversation because you do both of their impersonations. I don't do Jason. Jason's just a dumbass. That's the dumbass <laughs> voice. <What? laughs> it's kind of like Adam, the Adam Gentry impression that Mike came up with. <laughs> uh, don't even let me in with him, boss. He's an asshole. <laughs> You're right. Rock it out, bro. Try the dueling Adams. I love dueling Adams. <clears throat> okay, so I have actually a serious note to mention here. So Jason gets voted out. They all laugh at him. It's just a horribly trashy and 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 gleefully mean scene in Survivor history, which I happen to enjoy. It's a funny scene just because Jason's a comic character. But if you watch this episode again, it's interesting because they still have the old Tribal Council music in there, which is like someone's voted out. It's heartbreaking, and you have the big boom, like the reveal. It's all sad, but it does not fit the tone of this episode at all. So if you're ever thinking when the show kind of changes and the music starts changing and when they start going to this blindside music, this gleeful blindside music, it would be right around here. And you'll notice in this episode in particular, the tone of the music does not match the scene at all. 
Was this like when the aforementioned Dan Barry got voted out in Exile Island? They hyped it as like the big, you know, surprising tribal council. And the one change that they made was that they changed the music that played when he got voted out. Something I don't know, but this is actually the original music. This is like when Sonya got voted out in Borneo. It's the sad music. Like, but we're not supposed to feel sad that Jason gets voted out. It's just, it's a very odd dichotomy when I watch it. The, the tone of this episode is kind of screwy. So with that, we can uh, eulogize uh, Jason Siska here. <laughs> what a I mean, man, Mario. I feel like you're the one to eulogize him because you're the president and sole member of the Jason Siska fan club, and you yeah. know he. You gave you gave him quite a shout out on the funny one fifteen, which which hey, Jason's a funny character, but I feel like I feel like he's your baby, so so go for it. Well, I I mean I'm not really a fan of him, like I don't know I wasn't rooting for him to win or anything, but almost every scene he is in is better. I, I lump him with a lot of, with a lot of those characters like that, the kind of the doofus villain character, the Brad Culpeppers as you get later, stuff like that. I just think any scene with him in is that much better. And again, I I keep going back to the fact that. It just seems so mean how the editors treat him and the producers this season. And not that he doesn't really warrant it. I mean, there's people that, I mean, there's, they will do that over and over with other characters they don't like in the season. But it just seems odd to me that you invite a guest. Like, if you invite a guest into your house, you don't shit on him. Like, they invited this guy into their show here, be a part of our franchise, blah, blah, blah. We'll give you this amazing experience. And they just crap on him the whole season. So it just, it just seems from an etiquette standpoint that it's, I, I don't like the way it happens here. And it will happen more and more in the other episodes in other seasons but as mike pointed out like well they did this to roger sexton back in amazon but roger actually had some nice moments prior to that he has the scene around where they're sitting with christy and roger tells her you're not disabled you don't have a handicap you're one of us we're going to treat you like an equal and she cries like he has some great moments just up until his blind side but like jason gets that edit the entire season so it's it's always struck me as just a little a little off-putting that they would do this to someone on the show some... However, that well, yeah, that being said, I have heard from interviews, especially from Kathy Sleckman, who I happen to talk to a lot, that she's like, oh, he was even worse in real life. They they yeah. toned it down. They made him look better. So I don't know what I'm saying. I mean, I don't know if I'm even saying anything that makes sense. It just I always find it a little sad that they start doing it around this season where people start getting this Jason Sisk at it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things that we don't necessarily see, but everyone else on the island seems to see, which is why we get, you know, that confessional when Jason catches a rat, which seems innocuous enough to us, but then Parvati's like, Jason's such a freak, and you're, there's sort of a disparity going on. Uh, a couple of things of note, I guess, to mention about Jason postseason, I do remember for a little while he was... Uh, hanging out a lot with Todd, and I think when Spencer of to- of Token Teens went out, and they were all sort of hanging out together. I don't exactly know what was going on there. I'm not implying anything, but that was sort of the crowd he hang out with afterwards. I believe nowadays Jason charters boats in the Virgin Islands, I think, so he is now longer the co-pilot. He is the captain, baby. I bet his boat has a face on it, too, just to that's, give it the legitimacy. That's how you know it's a boat. <laughs> yeah. No, it's one of those things, obviously, you're never going to see Jason on Survivor again, and I'm sure he was embarrassed by his showing. I'm sure he doesn't like people making fun of him and laughing at him like they did on the show, but, you know, I think it made the season better. So, you know, in a sense, I'm glad he was there, although I do feel as a human being a little sad for him having to go through this. Was he the single worst edit of any character through the first 16 seasons? Or am I forgetting somebody here? Obviously, we're not to Kelly Purple yet. I mean, worst worst is uh, an interesting statement. I mean, there are some early boots. I mean, you could talk about someone like Deb from Australian Outback or like Mama from Marquesas, but they both went out in like episodes one and two. It's tough to think about somebody who went 
11 episodes and got as much of a doofy edit as Jason did for the first 16 seasons. All right. And I sense nobody else has anything to say about Jason because we have an Alexis boot coming up here. That's right. Let's go. Let's I don't rock know. and roll. I'm thinking maybe we might want to cut off for the night, right, Paul? You don't weaken the <laughs> No, I am ready to. He's, rock going, he's, a, little, he's a little aggro oh. right now, Mario. <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't lick my fingers. All right. All right. We are now down to the episode 12. This is the double boot episode where the Black Widow Brigade really kind of. They just started the last event, the last end of last episode. They're going on here. We're down to the final seven. And we start the episode with medical coming to look at James's finger again. Parvati has made that bacteria go all the way down to the knuckle. So James was away from from the camp at medical, and also during the night, Alexis fell and injured her knee hmm. away from camp. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, feel free to uh, talk about this. This is a major, major behind-the-scenes thing in Micronesia. I'm not 100% sure how much of this is truth. I know it's, a lot of it's true. I don't know how much of it is speculation based on that, but... Uh, feel free to uh, mention it to our viewers who may not be familiar with the story. So Okay, so go, yeah, ahead. go ahead, Mike. I was going to say, and feel free again to pepper in any details that you find. So at, we even talked about this when we were making a joke about the immunity challenge in the Aussie boot episode. Uh, production, they got to eat. They're hungry as well. So they have their own little supply station that's always set up somewhere located outside of the vicinity of camp uh there have been stories where you know people have gotten in there before have they gotten you know near there or they've been doing stuff in production territory throughout the entire history of survivor but this particular incident from what we heard i've heard stories where it was just james and alexis i've heard it was a story with james alexis and eric but some amalgamation of them went into the camp and raided it at night to pillage it of food and then dashed off into the night and what some people think is, you know, we get Alexis that says, oh, the, I'm in the middle of the night, I took the worst fall I ever had and hurt my knee. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the smoking gun here as to, you know, why would she trip? Maybe if she was running away from production people chasing after her. Where things get a little murky is some people claim that, oh, if James, Alexis, and Eric were, you know, the three people who stole food from production and Jason, or James, Alexis, and Eric were the next three people out – you know, tinfoil hat, maybe Survivor Production purposely removed James from the game and, you know, organized Eric to give away his immunity necklace. I don't think we need to go that far. I don't know if they were punished in any way, shape, or form, but it's pretty much confirmed that some rating of the production camp did happen. Yeah, I actually I actually was running this by Kathy Sleckman just the other day, and she confirmed it. She's like, oh, absolutely. They, they were sneaking in. They were taking food. She's like, James was feeding Parvati peanut butter down on the beach. She goes, it was awful. So apparently among the cast, it's just a certainty. Yeah, this happened. Now, I don't know about the, like Mike said, the conspiracy. Were they the next three forced out of the game because of this? I don't know. But yeah, there is a, there's a lot of uh, innuendo going on about this story. I, for one, can't believe someone like Alexis would do something so bad. I just, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around yeah, this. She's, a, she's an inspiration to young girls. Why would she do that? That's right. <laughs> Maybe if, if, she, if she has gr- as great of morals as she does survivor instincts, this is not true. So yeah, I, I think that you know it's it's hearsay and it's it's things like with all things dealing with Survivor, like there hasn't been like a, a an absolute one hundred percent account about everything and what's going on. But this is a thing that's been floating out forever, and people enough people have sort of confirmed it or said it's 
you know, pretty much true for the fact that at least James and Alexis at that point got food or rated food from production. And, and that's how it goes. I mean, saying that, you know, they were, they were then purposely booted out of the game afterwards. That's some like Michael Jordan playing baseball to cover up a gambling suspension sort of thing. Like it's, you have to really sort of connect some dots at that point. But, um, yeah, that much is true. And it's interesting because James does get medical to look at his finger, which is progressively getting worse. Uh, but yeah, this is where Alexis is like, ah, oh, I just you know tripped and injured my knee in the middle of the night, and it's like, hmm, interesting. Hmm. And with that being said, let's go into the reward challenge here. This is a fun one. This is a two-part reward. One of them, the part of it is it's the slam book where you answer the questions: who's the most annoying? Uh, who uh, Alexis? The, yeah, who has the most zombie eyes? Who runs like a deer? Stuff like that. And then the winner of this challenge gets the family visit. This is one where all the family members come out. So it's kind of a, it's a fun little scene here. Uh, so let's, I guess we can talk, uh, I guess, family member highlights here. So we have Parvati's mom, Gail. I think her father was out the last time. So I think we now have both parents coming out to see her. Uh, er- Eric's brother, Kurt. And this is where we get the really fanboy moment of Eric being like, look, look at my beard. Look, it's Jeff Probst. He's just standing there. Look at him. And Jeff just responds like, "Eric, you're a freak." Which, I, does every poor Eric being considered just a freak by everyone left in the game? Uh, we mention Natalie's mom, Rocky. Uh, we have Alexis's brother, Nathan. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but dude was totally cosplaying Jeff Probst. He was wearing like khakis and a blue button-down shirt. He looked exactly like him. Uh, and we have the return of Amanda's sister and the source inspiration for Equus, Katrina. She needs a little love. <laughs> I, I can't believe they didn't let her let her bring her horse two times in a row. <laughs> they trot the horse down a little fast. <laughs> Amanda, it's your horse, Buttercup. <laughs> Could you imagine that horse in the lake? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could have swum better than Rocky, probably. <laughs> The horse and jellyfish lake. <laughs> um, but we get we James missed out on the family visit by one round last time, and we're so excited that we get him now because it's James Senior. It's so funny to see James's like button down father here, uh, producing like this specimen of a man and some of them as much personality as James. And of course, we get the return of one of the most lovable loved ones of all time. HB is in the house with a beautiful button-down yellow shirt and a flower in his hair that he provides to his wife. Aww. And what's funny is that I got really excited about it because, like, I was watching these episodes in preparation for this podcast, and then the loved one episodes come on, and, you know, people's loved ones are coming out, and it's like, oh, look at this fun moment. You're making notes. But, like, in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, God, HB's coming. (laughs) Just from a historian's perspective, I was so excited to see Amanda's sister. I'm like, all right, we talked about her. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so uh, this is a great scene, a great loved one interaction, and the Eric Eric uh, fanboy moment. And then uh, <clears throat> Jeff says, okay, the reward here, the winner of this challenge gets to go to Jellyfish Lake. Remember what we did in Palau? We're going to do that all over again. So we're yeah, going to do I that and take your loved one. Because he talks about it, and it's true, because he's like, it's this natural lake with these stingless jellyfishes. He's like swimming with them. It's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And I really <laughs> wanted him to tack on and go, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience that we're doing twice. <laughs> yes. I'm pretty sure there, yeah, were probably, I mean, I, there were probably some leftover Survivor trivia Pringles left behind at the Jellyfish Lake from the last time they were there. Rupert! The answer is Rupert! It's always Rupert! <laughs> yeah, again, I, I honestly didn't remember they went back to Jellyfish Lake. When we were doing our Palau 
uh, podcast. I'm like, oh, this is my all-time favorite Survivor reward. They never did it again. It was amazing. And I, I had no recollection of them doing this again until I watched the scene the other night. I'm like, oh, I guess that kind of uh, negates some of the stuff I said during pullout. Yeah, and you, you binge it when you when you not binge it, but when you, you sort of see these seasons in succession, it's just really striking. Like, okay, they're going on the Jellyfish Lake reward and like the immunity challenge. I know that we're not there yet, but like it's shooting the gun and like not only that, but then you know just these scenes where they're yelling at camp and they're just in Oolong's old camp, and you're like, oh my lord. You can still see a lot of Ian tears hanging around. Oh. <laughs> You can see, still see his corpse hanging from a little noose on the, over by a tree. Look at this little tree. I'm sure Bobby John banged his head against this tree a million times. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, look, there's some pain. There's some scrawling words in this cave. What does this say? It says, well, sir, I believe that I am angry at this moment. Oh, yeah. Looks like someone arts, looks like someone tied a, a really convoluted knot. Oh, nope. Just came out really easily. That's strange. <laughs> Haha, ha, remember when I didn't get a podcast about Palau with you guys? Ha ha ha. This is your chance, Paul. Jump right in. Don't let the temp <laughs> steal all your good jokes. Hey, awesome. Paul, how was, was... How was Germany, Paul? <laughs> yeah, I love Palau. There's no G, no Alexis. It was awesome. Great character named Karen. She was so fun. Yeah, Stephanie's still down there on the beach all by herself. It's so heroic. She's been out there four years. All right, so uh, yeah, so this is uh, basically a variant of the coconut chop from Marquesas, where you you know answer the slam book questions, then you chop someone's someone's rope, and of course the players are much smarter about it now. All the main alliance people go after each other, but this one's a particularly brutal one where there's these little uh, wooden statue or ceramic statues of each person, and basically you after the third chop, this big old cudgel comes and slams it in the face and destroys it and amanda repeatedly talks about how brutal this challenge is <laughs> she's increasingly horrified she's like oh my god jeff they're just statues yeah so again more empathy for, for amanda here although i will point out again as i keep repeating that parvati is just getting a crappy edit through this whole season that in the slam book challenge parvati is named as the person who mistakenly thinks they're in control of this game and the person who never shuts up so basically, she gets the uh, the Courtney Merritt uh, answers here. That that uh, she's the biggest poser here. So again, Court Parvati does not have a good edit through most of these episodes. <clears throat> so yeah, so they get the slam book thing. Uh, who does the most for the tribe? It's James and all the crappy Parvati ones. She gets slammed, and then Parvati is the first one eliminated. They chop her ropes, and again, I don't know if that's strategy or if they just don't really like her at, the, at this point. Who knows? And then who is the most honest? Alexis, right there, Paul. Look at that. Very yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Just pointing. Just pointing it out. Playing devil's advocate here. And this is uh, who's the uh, who's the most likely person to become Paul's stepmom one day? Alexis. That was a nice yeah. one. <laughs> oh yeah. So then uh, Eric's statue gets smashed next. He's the second one off. And they all talk about how his hair flies off after the cudgel smashes into it, which is good. Uh, least likely to invite to a family dinner, James. And I know we cut to James' dad saying, what in the Nickelodeon are they talking about? I do like, he has a line where I think Alexis smashes one of James's ropes, and James Sr. says, wait until I get back home, we're going to talk about her. <laughs> yes. Yeah, James is making an enemies list as he's watching, his dad is making an enemies list. I feel like uh, we could get along. <laughs> so yeah, James is out, then Saria is out, and then Natalie's out, and then basically we get to the end where Saria gets to pick the winner. It's either going to be Amanda or Alexis, and she chooses chooses Alexis to win the challenge. Look at that. Alexis with her amazing social game. 
Okay, this is where we're going to digitally insert a string of Paul curse words because yes. I, I, like I feel like I'm one note here, so I'm just like trying to like be a little bit nice here because um, I think she might be going home soon. <laughs> oh, you one note. <laughs> All right, so yeah, so Alexis gets to go to Jellyfish Lake and she gets to pick who goes with her, and she picks Sari and HB and Natalie and Rocky. So we're going to see. All these six people go to Jellyfish Lake, and then she gets to send to someone to exile, and this is going to be important. Amanda says, ooh, ooh, me, 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 p- p- send me to exile. So uh, Alexis sends Amanda to exile island. This is going to become very important in why Alexis goes home later this episode. And we have one more piece of business as James has to go see Dr. Carolyn, or as Jeff calls her, Caroline, to look at his, his finger. Yeah. Yeah, this is a kind of a sad scene. Although you can see James is kind of resigned to it. He kind of knows it's coming. He's like, you know, I got I work with my hands. I don't want this infection in my knuckle. I, I, I can lose my feeling in my hand. I can't have that. So Dr. Caroline slash Carolyn comes in. She looks at his wound. She's like, this is way too deep. You're out here in a moist, damp environment. We can't have this. This is It's my opinion. We have to yank you from the game. It's just too serious. You know, it came in. They did the saline. They were like, does it hurt? And he was like, ah, it hurts in the side. And then she's like, can you poop, mate? <laughs> yeah, once again, they changed doctors. She's still Australian for some reason. <laughs> and this is where Courtney wants to sing to him as they're carting him out. Can I sing to you? Can you poop, mate? <laughs> yeah, can you poop? <laughs> you know, there's, a great, but... there's a great quote, I have to say, where Eric says, all right, well, go home and drink some beers, James. And James is like, I can't. I'll be on antibiotics. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. But... <laughs> You know, that that's one where I, I, I mentioned it before, like James knows he can't win this game. Like he literally knows it at this point. Like he probably figured, you know, you want to win. You, you want to do your best. Like I'm not saying that James came in with a defeatist attitude or something like that. But I think James knew going in. He's like, you know, I'm just going to do the best I can and maybe the chips will fall for me and maybe they won't. You know, whereas other people are like, I'm going to win a million dollars and this is how and all that sort of stuff. But it's like at this point, James is like, I'm on the outs. I'm not going to win unless I win all the immunities. But he sees that his hand is screwed up. So, you know, it's tough because you could see him here. He's resigned to the fact and they're talking about the knuckles. But like James isn't going to quit. He isn't going to say, yeah, I'd like to be pulled from the game. He's going to make them do it. But he knows they're going to do it. Yeah. And he's okay with it. So like you could see him, you know, he's very okay with it because he's just you know he knows he's not going to win and you know they they said the magic words and pulled him and all that sort of stuff but it was a very mutual kind of pull like you know i'm pulling you from the game okay (laughs) yeah it's nowhere near as uh, emotional and sad as the penner one earlier yeah right and i mean we could also say that like most likely james especially since eric wins immunity here at the final six james would be the one to go home here so it was sort of delaying the he was i guess uh hurrying up the inevitable but at the same time, this is going to have some ramifications about the end game that we will get into with much more detail next podcast. Yes, very wow. much. It is confirmed. This will be a four-parter. Look at that. You just made our Micronesia fans very happy. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So, James gets pulled. Now, this is, again, the third medevac of the season. Uh, no, it's. I mean, if you, if you count well, Kathy. Kathy, if yeah, you count if you Kathy's Kathy's like a, medevac. a psychological medevac, then yes. Okay. So, you got... Penner with the leg or the knee? What was it? It was, I it guess was like it was the, the leg, leg right around the knee. Like yeah, was, so James was, with the finger, Penner with the leg, and then Kathy for the crazy right. voices in plus, her head. Her plus fair play with the need for painkillers and Chet with the coral in his foot as well. So even though those two technically got voted out, you have five people who left the game either be, asking to be voted out or didn't even get to vote. Wow. Right. So this Penner, day is, yeah, go ahead. 
you know, Penner and James, especially like it was a cut that they were really worried about infection, which just makes you kind of go. They played an entire season of Survivor here, and did they just get lucky that time? Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, could be. Is this the most medevacs ever in a season, or did they beat that with the Caleb season? I forget. Yeah, Korong, Korong had the three medevacs, but I mean, they're not going to come back to Micronesia after this, and this might be a good reason why it appears that the environment is not very hospitable to these small cuts that took place. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So with uh, James gone, basically Eric is the only guy left. It's five guy, five girls and one guy left. And again, that's going to become important later in this episode. So uh, we go to jellyfish Lake. They do their swimming with a jellyfish. I don't really have much to say about it because we've already seen this in Palau other than there's this huge, you know, stairway going down to the jellyfish, which looks Cool, but poor Natalie's mom, Rocky, can barely walk. She's, like, hobbling around, and they go down all these stairs. It's horrible. So I just felt bad for her in that scene. They could have, like, choppered her down or something. <laughs> Too bad she, could have, for... she should have edited herself better in that scene to just go past the steps. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was going to say, uh, the reward... I mean, don't take this woman to Jellyfish Lake. Like, let's take her to the editing room here. Give her something she's really, you know, will enjoy. She, she could have ridden a, a, could she, Amanda's horse down the steps. That's another reason yeah. why we, we could have had the horse on. <laughs> Amanda's horse makes everyone happy. Well, yeah, and, and when Amanda went to Exile Island, you know, she when she goes and you know another Jeff Probst dick moment because where she's just like, okay, I'll go. Can I? Can I? Uh, can I say? Good, can I give a hug goodbye to my sister? And Jeff goes, nay, no. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this horse joke's never get old. All right, so we go to Amanda at Exile Island. She does their whole back across the ocean thing that Sari did earlier, and then she finds the final clue, and it says. Oh, yeah, you find the final clue. By the way, the idol is back at camp underneath your flag. No, so you said it wrong. You said it wrong, Mario, because this is another reason why I relate to Amanda really well in this. Is that I've since I've kind of corrected the way I, I um, speak a little bit after I went away to college and stuff. And I realized that there's like the part of eastern Montana where um, Amanda is from. And this also this also kind of carries over to the Midwest because eastern Montana sometimes can get into like midwestern type accent but instead of pronouncing an ag uh, like a lot of people from my area pronounce it with uh pronounce it instead of ag we pronounce it egg yes. and you can like yes. really hear it strong in this oh whole yes story because that, she's like, talking about how you know how the idols uh back at your camp underneath your tribe's flag and it will continue gotta, on she's got to empty out her bag later on her bag and hey. it's something that i yep. still it does it doesn't even sound weird to me like so like i had to like i really like had to listen to this one time and people were accusing me of saying it funny because it still sounds normal to me but like if you if i really like tune my ear to this i can hear how uh how eastern montana uh, amanda is I wrote that down, Paul, actually, in my notes. Really? I wrote it down. She said it Midwesterny when she was just like, because when she gets back to camp, uh, you know, she's just like, I didn't find the idol out there. I'm going to empty my bag out for you. And I'm just like, whoa, did, that's familiar. Yeah. Excellent. A little bit of Montana trivia there from Paul. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. All right. So, yeah. So, uh, then uh, we, we're getting ready to go to the immunity challenge. And Suri tells us, we know, there's only... There's only six people left in the game. There's one guy and five girls. She goes, that puts a lot of pressure on us to beat Eric. If if Eric you know, wins immunity, somehow we have to turn on each other. And this is where we get a little foreshadowing from Alexis, where she's like, I sure hope it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> is this where uh, um, Parvati turns her goes, so you don't want us to vote you out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so funny the way she asked that. She's like, no, no, I don't. Parvati's like, are you sure? <laughs> Parvati convinced Alexis to vote herself out of the game. True master. 
Also, <laughs> all right. Wait, 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 we glossed over this. Was it last time when Eric won immunity or is it coming up here? But there was one time where, you know, as they're getting ready to vote, where Prope says, you know, Eric, you have individual oh, immunity. Yeah. I don't imagine you're going to give it up. Yeah, last episode, I think. He's like, yeah. he's, no way, Jose, not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to do something idiotic and give it up, right? Never, ever. <laughs> So you know there there is that in there. So look for I think it was last episode for those of you paying paying attention, episode eleven, where you know Eric has individual meeting and Jeff Probst like you're not going to give that up, right? And Eric's like I'd be a fool to give it up. Ha <laughs> ha lol. Anyway, keep going. All right, so we get to the the final six immunity challenge. It's all the girls plus Eric, and this is again we've seen it before. This is where you shoot that big gun at the milk bottles. The exact same challenge we had in Palau, and uh, yeah, it's just re- exactly repeated from Palau. And I'm just going to skip through it and say, Eric wins this one. The only guy wins, which is exactly what Sari did not want to happen. No, and it's, in you know, they they create some nice tension just with the shooting, but it's like Eric just hits his three targets and wins. Yeah. Yep. You know, maybe they had other rounds. You never know how these things are going. But the way it edited, it was just like, you know, Natalie got a, got a bottle and, you know, Eric, you know, but Eric just hit his target three times and was like, well, okay, that's it. GG. Eric wins. Okay, we're done. Okay, so now we're going to get some fun. The part that Paul is just going to be laughing gleefully at. We go back <laughs> to camp. Well, because Amanda has some great moments and Alexis has some bad moments. It's oh, yeah, double this is whammy. great, 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 great. It's really advantageous for Amanda, though, because, you know, something that we sort of glossed over when we were talking about last episode is the fact that, you know, Jason got the hidden immunity idol and then, you know, he went off and, I don't know, did Siska things or I, who knows what Jason does in a day. But, like, the girls basically then just, you know, without any sort of remorse whatsoever, just looked through his bag and they were like, oh, yeah, he's got the idol. So then they were, you know, doing their Black Widow planning to, you know, make Jason not use the idol. But, you know, going through people's stuff is like a thing now, right? So, like... Amanda gets the clue over at, at uh, Exile Island, but it's it's she doesn't get the idol. She just gets the clue basically saying it's buried at camp. So she has this great moment where she can, you know, after the immunity challenge, she just comes in and says, I don't have the idol. You can search all my stuff. I don't have it. Yeah. I, Amanda, I have to say this is pretty awesome here. This, this is pretty cool. This is probably this episode, I think, is the highlight of her Survivor career, in my opinion. Yeah. She plays this episode like, a, like, to quote Natalie, a stone cold badass. <laughs> yeah yeah amanda comes back she's like i just want to tell all you girls i went to exile i could not find it you can look through my bag and then she dumps it all out and literally there is no idol in there so she's telling the truth and she will point out later i was telling the truth at that point i didn't have it and so this, yeah this is a great amanda moment where she gets to snow everyone and then she tells parvati i guess apparently here in parvati are friends now we've somehow made up i didn't see that but apparently it was a secret scene or something Rocky, fuck you for leaving that scene out. And, I mean, they, they also, the production's also changing things up. And, again, I mentioned the thing that they're going to really change up towards the end game later on uh, with James's evacuation. But, as we saw, Ozzy and Jason both found the idols on Exile. With it being so easy, production probably thought, all right, how are we going to change things up? So now they go with the Fiji-like strategy of let's bury the idol back at camp. And, as a result, it does create some interesting action here as Amanda confides in Parvati. I couldn't find the idol on Exile because it's buried under the flag. You're going to have to figure out a way to get everyone away from the 
because let's remember when they move to Malakal, there are the caves, then there's the beach where the flag is. You're going to have to get everyone away from the beach so I can dig for the idol. Uh, Parvati's excuse is a little interesting. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit. But yeah, this entire scene is basically the fans decide to go against Amanda because they feel like she's a big threat to win, while at the same time, Amanda is frantically trying to find a safe space in order to excavate this idol. Yeah. Okay, so here we go. So Parvati comes up with a plan where Amanda tells her to go distract the tribe. So Parvati will distract everyone. Amanda goes and digs and digs. And what's interesting is we never see Amanda find it. Like, the, they kind of blindside the audience. It's kind of interesting. That. Yeah, it's really cool. And so, uh, and then Amanda starts snowing everyone, where uh, they're all talking about, well, who should we get rid of tonight? We can't vote for Eric. We got to vote for one of the girls. And all of Parvati's new sidekicks, Alexis and Adelie, are like, well, and, and Eric as well. They're like, well, Amanda's the biggest jury threat, and we can't possibly beat Amanda in a jury because, as we all know, Amanda is gold in front of a jury. You don't want to face that. So yeah, so so uh, Amanda, of course, has the big doe eyes, the deer eyes. She's really milking it here. She goes to Eric, and she's like, uh. You know, I helped you in the game, Eric, and we're buddies, and I've looked out for you, and you should help me tonight, please. If I'm going to be voted for, just tell me. Just tell me. And, of course, all she's doing is fishing to see if I have the idol. Should I play it tonight? And Eric, of course, being a nice guy, is like, well, yeah, we're going to vote for you. You know, I I totally understand your pain, and here, I'll help you out. And she's like, thank you, Eric. And it's, it's just a great, a great I mean, again, from a non-Amanda fan like me, I love Amanda in this scene. She's so great. Wait, I love Amanda. You just said I love Amanda? I love Amanda, yes. Woo! I'm sorry, I'm coming around. Yay, finally. Yep. <clears throat> okay, so uh, let's see. I'm skipping through my notes here so we can get to the reveal here. So yeah, Alexis and Eric want to vote Amanda. Sari joins them. Sari's like, you know, I, you know, I like Amanda. I want to vote. I mean, I want to be with her, but in this circumstance, I kind of have to go against her. So this is one of those rare times Sari is actually going to get blindsided as well here. There's also this weird little tenuous thing that happens, though, where, and they're going to talk about it at the beginning of the next episode, too, where, like, Amanda goes to Sari and says, you know, can you force a tie? And Sari's like, no, hell no, I'm not picking a rock. She comes up with the excuse of, like, oh, I have the worst luck. I couldn't even hit a bottle today. But you know Sari would never put her head on the chopping block <laughs> like that. But Sari's going to emerge relatively unscathed here, despite the fact that she votes against Amanda. Apparently, the only test that Sari needed was her saying, like, hey, if it wasn't a tie, I would I would vote with you. Yep. Yeah, Sari is just amazing watching her do damage control. But I have to say right here, Amanda just absolutely owns this episode. Yeah, so she's just giving these pouty, doe-eyes to everyone. She's just depressed. And again, we never actually find her, see her finding the idol. It's been done off camera. So we have no idea if it's going to happen or not. And we go right to Tribal Council. And that's one of the reasons why I think this episode, and this ending in particular, is probably the best episode of the season. This is fantastic. Well, we could thank Parvati for hiding the idol underneath the flag. That was, Exactly. Um, that yeah, was yeah Parvati, good of her. Well, I always actually, thinking ahead. I actually heard that the reason why they didn't show Amanda fighting the idol is because I don't think they actually had footage of it. Uh, which, again, might be a tenuous rumor as much as, you know, uh, James and Alexis and Eric leaving the game through production. But I completely agree. I mean... You know, Jay and I are both big fans of the show The Genius, which basically utilizes the style the entire time of, like, really keeping things in the dark for the audience, only for there to be big twist reveals at the end, and then they sometimes do flashbacks to show how everything actually happened. 
I would love to see this more often just because I know the producers are all about let's keep the audience as informed about everything going on as possible. But that would definitely mitigate a lot of confessionals about everyone every episode saying like, I have the idol. Should I use it? Maybe I shouldn't use it. You know, and that way you're able to surprise an audience while also cutting down on repetition. I feel like it's a perfect formula. How many audience blindsides have there been over the years? I'm trying to think, and I'm thinking the Hunter one in Marquesas this is a big one because they never even mention that he's a target. He just kind of goes. And then Gary Hogaboom finding the idol in Guatemala where they don't show you finding him finding it. He just has it all of a sudden. And is this the third one? I mean, there are really are not very many audience blindsides, and I totally agree that I wish they would have more just to mix it up. Yeah. I mean, and it's as close to genius editing as sort of you can get, Mike, you know, because um, I've thought so many times that like maybe Survivor should use some some editing techniques that the genius does. But it's sort of hard because the genius, it's a different game every uh, episode that they have and you can do different things with it. Whereas, whereas with Survivor, it's the same thing every time you go to tribal council, you vote on a parchment, someone goes home like there's no variance to that. So you sort of can't, but, but it's, it's always nice, you know, something that the genius does. And it's something that, that, that you do on the funny 115 Mario, in the sense that sometimes you write entries about people and you don't write it from the perspective, this omniscient perspective that we see survivor in where Mm -hmm. we see everyone's sort of story and everyone talking and all the different pieces moving. Something they do in the genius that I absolutely love is sometimes they'll be like, here's a game. And then they'll split off into two teams and, you know, the two teams are competing each other in this game. And it's like you follow one team and the one team's like, all right, here's here's the foolproof proof way we're going to win. We're going to do this really devious thing and we're going to trick the other team into doing it. And basically, you just don't see the other team very much or you see them just kind of going, hey, guys, what do you think we're going to do or something like that? And then it goes to the game and you're basically watching the game, but you're seeing it through the eyes of like the one team. Yeah. And you see them like executing their plan and you're like, oh, look, they're executing their plan. And then all of a sudden the other team wins. Yeah. And you're like, what? And then it like flashes back and it shows the other team. They're like, they're going to do this thing, but we've got a super secret, blah, blah, blah. And then you sort of see the whole picture. And it's like, I wish Survivor did more of that because that's fun. It's a fun reveal to do that. Yeah. And what's interesting that you bring up that I write the way that I don't I'm not trying to do anything like innovative. I just get bored writing things the same way. So I always try to mix things up just to keep myself interested. So like I said, like you said, I'm shocked the editors don't do this more. Don't they just get bored doing the same thing over and over? Like you could totally mix it up in Survivor and do all these weird things. And you think every so often they just would just because why not? Let's see what happens. The, the closest thing I could think to this happening in modern Survivor is I remember when Jeremy went home in Survivor San Juan del Sur. They like hinted towards it, but they didn't do any strategic confessionals of like the alliance that voted him out getting together. And so it was very surprising at the time. Nothing comparable to Amanda fighting the idol, but that's the closest thing I can think of, of modern Survivor leaving the audience in the dark just a tiny bit as to why things occurred. Yeah. And what's funny is I've actually been watching a lot of The Genius lately. I just got into it recently, and I, I totally know what you guys are talking about. The editing on that is so fun. I just love – you have no idea what they're doing every episode. It's different. Yeah. You know, and in, in the nature, it's the nature of it because of the characters and because they're playing different games. And some games require, like, you know, if they've got, like, you know, uh, ten people or so, like, maybe they need to split into two teams of five. And in some games, they they're, it's more individual. Some games, it's smaller teams. Like, you know, each each game in the genius is different. And, and not only is it different, it's how how people split into teams and and what the teams look like and what the makeup looks like and what the goals are, are very different so that also lends to different editing possibilities where whereas with survivor 
as much as we love this show and, and love the game, it's pretty straightforward. You live on the island, you deal with each other, and then you have a challenge or two, and then you talk about it and then you go to tribal council. Like, the format doesn't change. So, you know, all they can do is, you know, introduce different things like, you know, uh, uh, hidden immunity idols or, you know, extra vote things or, or stuff that goes on within the game. But the game is still just relatively straightforward, whereas with Genius, you've got more things to to play around with with the editing. But I think that there's room to do things if they were, you know, well, if they were so inclined to do so. And so the question is, why don't they? Yeah. I would think if the ratings ever started to slip, maybe they would, but right. because the ratings are so consistent, they're like, well, why change it? Like, people like yeah, this, just exactly. go with it. Yeah, the show is so rock solid as far as uh, ratings go. Like, yeah. they're, no, they're no longer reaching high highs, but I mean, it's very, very steady business, so maybe, I get it. So maybe Rocky stuck around for this episode. She came up with the bright idea to not show Amanda fighting the idol, but they're like, Rocky, you're too unorthodox. You're out of here. Get off the Survivor you're editing a- team. <laughs> You're a maverick, comma, a loose cannon, period. (laughs) Rocky was writing checks her body couldn't cash. That's right. (laughs) All right. I like that we've been uh, blue-balling Paul for 10 minutes here. Trying to I, I I'm, like, like I, I'm like, how long have we been on this damn tribal council? Not I don't like your strategy, here. but damn it, you get results. <laughs> the world was not ready for Rocky. She was ahead of her time. <laughs> All right, so we get to tribal council, and uh, yeah, and James shows up with his IV bag in the jury, which is great. And then uh, Amanda is still just all mopey and sad, and you know she's got a long face in general, but she's really making it even longer now. She got the long, sad face. It's, it's so perfect, and uh, she just guilt trips people. She's like, Eric, well, Eric was supposed to help me. He wouldn't help me today. I feel so alone. And then Alexis, of course, Paul, I'm sure loves this. Where Alexis is like, you know. We're telling Amanda we're voting her out because we respect her so much. So Alexis, you know, yeah. with a heart as big as all outdoors, doing the good thing here. Yeah, can't wait to her smug out asses walking out of the tribal council in about two minutes. It, it is, there's a fun pairing here because Amanda eye rolls at that, and we'll talk about it. When the first vote is revealed for Alexis, it cuts to her eye rolling too. So it's clear oh, yeah. that we talked at the very beginning of this podcast about, like, was there an edited animosity between Alexis and Amanda because of their jealousy over Ozzy? I don't know if that was the case, but maybe it was clear from this exchange that they weren't exactly fans of each other. Yeah, they definitely did not like one another. At least Amanda didn't like Alexis. I don't know about the other way, but just from what Paul's told me, Alexis doesn't like anything. That's true. Yeah. All right, so here we go. So so they all go up and vote and cast their votes. They're almost all for Amanda. And Amanda looks over at the jury at her friends, James and Ozzy, and kind of rolls her eyes and makes a little slashing motion across her throat. And if anyone has read the Funny 115 and seen my pictures of zombie Amanda, I got it from right there. That's why I, I, There's a couple still shots that I grabbed that make her look especially like a zombie. And uh, especially one with her mouth open. That's the, the, the roaring zombie one that I have. So anyway, uh, so then Jeff comes back and says, okay, I'm going to go tally the... the the votes, unless anybody has an immunity idol, and we'll cut to Paul for the rest of the scene. <laughs> I got it. Yeah, yeah. It's just, about it's that, so Jeff. Good. I just wanted yeah. to say when about I to- that, when I told y'all I didn't have it, I didn't have it then, so I didn't lie. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so Amanda great. pulls out the idol. She strolls over, all cockily, swinging it around on her finger to Jeff. I got it now, or whatever. And then yeah, this is, she's just laughing, and the jury's laughing, and just the looks of shock on everyone's face. I mean, this is a bigger blindside than the Aussie one, to be honest. No one sees this coming except Amanda and Parvati. They're the only two. 
And so uh, up come all these Amanda boats. Everyone's going crazy. Amanda's like smiling because all of them get negated. And then then comes the first Alexis vote and Alexis gets pissed. And I'm just watching this the other night. And I'm like, oh, I bet Paul loves the scene. <laughs> so great. <laughs> yeah. I just can't like put words to it. Like, it's just great. Like, she just has always annoyed me for the longest time. And this is just like a really great way for her to go out. It's like, it's so funny for the rest of the season. They're always going to be like, you know, this, uh, this band of women, they like, you know, they had all these blindsides and they like cut all these people. And it's all these guys and Alexis. Like, she kind of just gets thrown <laughs> in with it. Even though she was like a part of like the other ones. It's just funny how she just kind of is like part of the carnage. <laughs> oh, it's funny going into the season i did not like amanda i just don't like anything about her i hate to, I, I, I like to say that i'm joking but i'm not i just don't like amanda well, and alexis I, I, i'm saying I, alexis i had no opinion on and you have single-handedly won me over through this podcast i hate alexis i love amanda so i'm seeing the world through paul's eyes at this point it's like colorful all the colors are different i see flying <sighs> rainbows and ponies and clouds it's like i i see this season in a whole new light and i love this episode now well, I think that I think probably the distance from it has helped with it because, like, yeah, there is a lot of Amanda fatigue, and I'm sure if I hadn't, you know, had this personal connection to Amanda because I had watched her, you know, play, or if I had had this Montana connection to her, I probably would have been sick of seeing her so much too, and like been questioning why is she back all the time. But you know, I mean, it aired back to back, and we're doing historians, we're doing two episodes a year, so like it doesn't really feel like she's playing back to back. So you get more of a time to to actually appreciate this run, you know, by itself, and and you're seeing some of the good things about her. And let's yeah. also remember that you know at the time when people were watching this, we had just watched Amanda be rather under the radar in the first half of her game, make a big move by blindsiding James at the final seven, and then doing. Having riding a really strong alliance to the end where she ultimately lost. Amanda seemed to be kind of doing a similar type of game here. Granted, she was more visible in the beginning because of Ozzy, but she, you know, she makes a big move in blindsiding Alexis here. She's going to make her way to the end of the game. I mean, you talk about Amanda fatigue. The reason why we were so fatigued about Amanda is because she's in every single episode of China and this season. So at this point, I think a lot of people were starting to think, especially because this was a big flashy move from Amanda, like, Wow, there is a very good chance that Amanda, if not Sari, could win this season. And with that, we say goodbye to that girl, Alexis. Anyone have anything to say? Well, was this when Alexis leaves, and, and this is where Jeff Probst says, uh, you guys really are mastering the art of the blind side. <laughs> yeah, he had a, that was like, a, you know, they have, he probably has like a stack of, you know, papers of maybe index cards of all these phrases he can use at the end. And they kind of like found that one at the bottom of the stack. Oh yeah, I used to say that all the time in Pearl Islands. So let me pull that one out here. That one's fun. Yep. I'm pretty Good sure job, the, Parvati. I'm pretty sure the art of the blind side is also like the name of an episode as well. I'm sure it yeah, is I'm during sure the, in the is. almost 500 episode uh, arc of Survivor. What I will say about Alexis is that I do feel like for from postseason and out of season stuff, the opinion on her is a little mixed because she is, in spite of Paul's rising hatred of her, pretty under edited the entire season. But I think a lot of people were saying out there that Alexis was a pretty big social threat. I mean, there's a reason why she ended up winning that slam book challenge and why nobody really hit her. And Sari essentially let her win the reward is because she was fairly well liked and could have stood a pretty good chance of winning, as we said at the beginning of this podcast, if she went with a certain group of people to the end. But then we get to her Ponderosa, where we get yes. like, we get confessionals from yes. both Eliza and Ozzy talking about how 
delusional Alexis is, which is such a weird yes. disparity of opinions. Because Alexis comes in, and she's like, "I played an honorable game. I never told a lie." Which, and she also says something which I know uh, Rob Cesarino in particular takes a lot of umbrage with, which is when the booted person says, "You know, even though I lost the game, I really was the true winner." Uh, because if, if the, <laughs> who if, else said that? Who else said that? What you were Gene Gene Ju Porto? Yeah, the the Gene Junior comparison really holds in that regard. Uh, so I, I guess I guess if uh, if I was at a zero with Alexis, I'm sliding towards like a negative point one at this point because her her Ponderosa stuff is not the best. Sucks. I mean, not often do I use this phrase, but as Eliza says, you know, about how delusional Alexis is. I literally was going, yes, queen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Paul gang up the podcast here. <laughs> oh, and I think we just finally finished part three of Micronesia. Oh, what a great note to end on, you guys. Like, do we have to finish the rest of the season? Because I think it's pretty okay where it is now. I'm ready for Bone. Let's bring yeah. it on. Bring on Susie. Let's go. Yeah, maybe to we be can... honest, I, I like this ending better. Yeah, can we, can we skip the next two episodes, please? My Eric loving heart can't take it. <laughs> oh, no. We still have Parvati's march to victory as she is completely dominating the game and making all these things happen right now. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> How did, I mean, again... I, I, I don't like winner bashing. I, I've, I've always said, you know, all winners are great. I don't I don't talk trash about them. They're, every winner is tied for the best player ever. But how does Parvati, with this storyline, win this season? And and part two of that, how does she go to the point where, in a couple of years, everyone's raving about her as the best player ever? Like, I don't I'm get a, that. I, I, I've a, never got that. I'm, never, I'm not a big winner basher, per se, but I can't disagree with that statement more. I feel like when you say every winner is tied for the best player ever, again, I, I don't. I, I guess it's more along the lines of what are you looking for as as far as best yeah. and all that sort of stuff because I, I you know you can make the argument of someone who's best has to win but you know there's a lot of things that go in there you know where as much as we talk about how like you know people control and drive the game there's lots of happenstance that happens here and I think that you know this Parvati marching to the end of Micronesia there's a lot of happenstance that happens around Parvati that benefits her. And, you know, you can say, hey, she put herself in a good position, and she did. But sometimes she was put in a position to do things, and hey, you know, luck's got to go your way. And what I will say is that Parvati is, I think, the only person left in the game at this point who has voted correctly at every tribal council she's been to. And I know statistics can sometimes be thrown out the window, as Jay just mentioned, but I think that's something that needs to be said as a positive towards her game at this point. It's true. Although you can point out that's only because Amanda went to her to help with the idol when Amanda could have gone to anybody. I mean, it's kind of like Jay said, she was put in a good position there. Yeah, the, the focus... The focus of the season, I mean, we're talking about all this window dressing and the Black Widow Brigade and, you know, the sudden rise of Natalie Bolton and, you know, saying bitch a million times and, you know, Jason Siska and Ozzy and James and the medevacs and all this sort of stuff. The the heart of this season is that final three. It's Sari, it's Amanda, it's Parvati. They are like the 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 three there. And as you can see, they're they don't have the 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 most solidified road all the way to the end, uh, especially Amanda and Sari. Not that they're like super at odds, but as you can see, when they blindsided Ozzy, Sari chose not to tell Amanda. So Sari chose, Sari told, you know, was, you know, Parvati was in on it, but 
Amanda was not in on it. And now Amanda finds the idol. She tells Parvati she doesn't tell Sari, perhaps in retaliation for the Aussie boot and the mistrust and blah, 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 blah. But within this final three alliance, Parvati is in the middle of it, which, you know, you can say she put herself there. I don't know if she put herself there. She just, you know, she 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 made a bunch of, you know, she took the the risk to bring in Natalie and to bring in uh, Alexis uh, into the Ozzy and James. So she sort of positioned herself in the middle and Suri used it as a pivot to go, but Parvati still is the pivot person. And so she does become that pivot person. So, you know, as Mike says, she's voting correctly because, you know, when Amanda and Suri were at odds, they were still telling Parvati her plan. You know, before we sign off here, I do have to say one more thing that since, you know, I've been praising Amanda, which I'm not want to do, I might as well just keep going with it here. That <laughs> Him, yeah. It's pretty am- impressive, I have to say, that, you know, this whole season is basically, we're the favorites, we know what we're doing, the fans suck, ha-ha, and the favorites are just going to go to the end. Amanda isn't really a favorite. If you think back to the start of the season, they didn't know who she was. Like, remember that, the, 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 the golf clap at the start? Like, she has been embraced and gets along with these others as a favorite, even though they don't really know her. She was a complete stranger to most of these people at the start of the game. So I think it's quite impressive to her social game how well she gets along, that she has been able to integrate herself and pass her off herself off as a favorite when she really isn't. Although, yes. to be fair, one could also say Parvati's not really a favorite either. But I have to say, I think I just think it's impressive that I had never even thought about that until right now, that this whole season is that we're favorites, the fans are jokes, but Amanda somehow makes her way into the favorites when none of them even know who she is. That being said, <laughs> to play devil's advocate, mm-hmm. when a person returns for like a subsequent season, uh-huh. they typically do well, or or at least one of them does. Um, you know, in in the first the first instance of it was Rupert. Um, you know, he was on he was on Survivor Pearl Islands, and then he mm-hmm. came back for Survivor All Stars. And yes, he fell into the right alliances. And I'm not saying Rupert's a great player, but you know, Rupert is not a person that you're like is gonna in- inherently win Survivor. And yet he came in fourth place in Survivor All Stars. Mm-hmm. You know, he went really far. And he's, I think part of it was was that they didn't totally know him and all that sort of stuff. And then Stephanie and Bobby John come back a season later. Well, uh, you know, from from Palau to Guatemala and Stephanie makes the finals, um, yeah. you know, and, and so you've got this the thing. So Amanda's out there in China and so is James. I mean, there's other things like that, but it's like Amanda, is, you know, carries this tradition of being someone who jumped from season to season and makes it really, really far. You know, Russell Hans is going to do it. You know, there there's yeah. a legacy of people that go on one season. They come back for an all star or returnee sort of season. And they do well. And she was the one that parlayed it. And James James wasn't. Yeah, I, I mean, I see that's a good argument. But it's, you can hardly compare her and Stephanie, who's being dragged at the end as a goat the entire way. But yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I didn't say it was all they, they play the identical games or something like that. But the precedent has been set. You know, it, it, it's always nice to go when, when you're looking at a season, a returnee sort of season, and they're bringing people from the season that just happened. You, you, it's, it's a decent bet. If you're if you're doing some sort of betting thing that that one of those people is going to make it deep into the game, not win or even make the finals, but go deep. That's a good point. And of course, we all know how Zeke later won Game Changers. Okay. <laughs> I, I really hope he doesn't. That's not a spoiler. I'm just guessing. All right. So. Uh, I think that's about it here. Um, what's interesting is, you know, this is going to be a four part podcast. And I will say I was not super thrilled about talking about Micronesia. It's not my favorite season. I'm, but I am having fun with these episodes. I, I, I still don't think it's a great season. I think it's a, uh, 
it's got a, a bunch of little decent and good moments, but I don't think it's a strong season. But it's funny how many people have been talking to us in general. I mean, me individually, but I know all of us just saying, you know, when you get on there, I hope you guys just shit on Micronesia. Just trash it. I hate it. Like, a lot of people want us to just hate the season, and, and you can't really. Like, I, again, it's, I don't think it's a flawless season. I don't think it's in the top tier of seasons, but I don't hate it. It's not a horrible season. So I'd, I feel like a, we're kind of letting people down a little a little bit, not trashing the season. But the honest truth is I just don't hate it that much. I mean, I don't feel that strongly about it one way or another, but I don't hate it. And there's a lot of stuff to talk about. I mean, we got through four episodes in three and a half hours. That is definitely saying something. But, you know, it's not like we're going to come back and only talk for an hour. We have two very important episodes to still talk about. We have Eric giving away the immunity necklace, though the entire episode is essentially these four women dragging Eric through the dirt and torturing him mentally and psychologically to eventually get him to make the dumbest move in Survivor history. And then we get the finale, and we're going to definitely talk about what is probably one of the biggest Survivor what-ifs next to what if Michael Scoopin did not fall into the fire. What if there was a final three and Sari was in the finals? What would happen? So those are two big subjects that we're going to broach, as well as our thoughts overall about the season, which, as Mario said, none of us are outright hating at this moment. There's just a lot of... No matter what you think about the season, there's so much going on in these post-merge episodes that it's really just worth the meaty discussion. Yeah, before we sign off, I have a very special request. We have one listener named Shifra. She's a uh, always listens to every episode, and she has been begging me all week. She's like, I hate Micronesia. I hate it. It's the worst season. I can't get through it. Just cuss it out on the air. Cuss it out, please, for me. And I can't do it. I just, It's not that horrible a season. But for you, Shifra, as you requested, I will cuss it out. And since you don't use swear words, I will do it in your style. I will say it's a poopy season. Poop on you, Micronesia. Micronesia's got right. poop pants. It's got poop pants. That's right. All right. Um, I think that's about it. We have a very long podcast here. Um, we had some technical issues you guys probably aren't going to be aware of, but you you'll appreciate we finally recorded something. It's been a while, and uh, hopefully we will have a quick turnaround for part four, our first and only, hopefully, ever four-part podcast. Um, do you guys have anything to add before we sign off? Uh, send us thoughts about the season as well. As we just talked about, we're only going to be talking about two episodes, uh, so... You know, we just did a listener questions podcast, but we would love to hear from you guys as well about any thoughts you might have about Micronesia, just because it is, as we mentioned countless number of times, such a pivotal season in Survivor history, which I'm sure we will talk about in mass next time. So SurvivorHistorians at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts and questions about Micronesia. Hopefully we can get to some of them at the end of the uh, part four of this podcast. Yep. All right, as always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I would like to thank Parvati for giving me the wisdom to conduct this podcast. I'm Jay Fisher, and uh, I just am going to say that I'm going to uh, leave this podcast at a full gallop. Uh, I'm Mike Bloom, and I'm going to hand this podcast off to Rocky when we get off the air to edit it down. Uh, And I'm Paul, and bye, Alexis. No cooking for you!
I think that that's not the idol. And that's a bummer. Should I try and play it? Uh, yeah, of course. That would suck. Oh, bitch!